Okay. All right. You want to do a show? Let's do a show. Wow, oh, this is great news. Let's just cut. Let's just cut to the chase and just get there cut right to away. It. You want well, to cut I'll, to it? I want to talk about that warning you got about the um, that response, the automated warning. Oh yeah, yeah. I want to. Oh, by the way, welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I'm Brian Irwin. I'm John. Huck. Oh, there you are. Okay. All right. So no, I was going to say. So you sent me. And I can't play it because, unfortunately, it's all all phone right now, and I'm not I'm not really good at this tech on this my board from 1982 here anymore. But um, you want to explain to everybody what you sent to me, and oh, then I want to and Sam. I want to tell you <laughs> what my reaction was to what you sent me. Well, Tony Sam, who uh, has been on the show before, is a comic, a very funny dude, a friend of mine. Uh, he sent me a thing. It said it was audio message, and then in text it said very important. With an explanation point, and I kind of, you know, t- Tony is a comic and he's a fucking, <laughs> he's a joker, so I assume it was going to be kind of funny. But it starts to, it's an automated, like kind of one of those um, alerts you would get on your phone, just like a mass dial, where it's like you have been selected by, but it was like you have been tested, you have tested positive. It says that you tested positive for COVID nineteen and uh, that you need to quarantine immediately, and that it's all based on the size of your wiener, and having a small wiener is yes. what gave you COVID. Yes. <laughs> and then, and then, it, and then it, it was all about what a tiny dick you have. Yes, yeah. So you sent that to me, and... and, and I it, died laughing when he sent it to me, so I started sending it to everybody I knew. Okay, well, at first, I didn't die laughing, because it brought up it's all the anxiety that I had in week one, which I don't have anymore. And the funny thing is is I started thinking to myself, well, how the fuck did John give me COVID? I wasn't anywhere near him. And, and so then I listened to the whole thing because I had turned it off because my heart was palpitating. Wait, did you stop it at first? Yes, because I was palpitating. Oh, because oh I, I felt bad, like I was going through a series of things. And then I listened to it again, and then it got to the wiener thing. I'm like, you fuck face. And then... <laughs> and then... So then, of course, because you know I'm not trying to win any Father of the Year awards, I went and I called the boys in, my kids, and I was like, "Guys, sit down." Guys, I get, we have to I, listen to this. I did, and I called my wife in. I'm like, "Guys, we need to listen to this. This is really important." They're like, "What? What?" And like everyone was like really worked up because I never call family meetings, <laughs> and I start playing it, and I get to the wiener thing, and my wife is just pissed. She's just like, "Seriously, <laughs> like there's not enough." Stupid dick jokes in this house, and Tanner just my oldest son gets up and he gives like a fist pump, and then he like reaches for the high five, and I was like, "There it yes, is, you know, dude. I connected with my teen son." You did it, dude. You are so, father of the year. You, uh, it was in a range of emotion, but it was a big win. But, it was a big but win, dude. That's that's how I went. I went through those range of emotions. I'm like, wait, how did I, how would I test positive? Did I did Tony have it? And then I like. I went through all that too, and then as soon as I got to the wiener front, I was like, "You piece of shit!" Funny, funny, <laughs> but piece I couldn't of shit. stop laughing, dude. Yeah, I could yeah. Not no, stop it was, it was, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely very funny. I uh, let's bring our guest in because I think he's going to yeah. be really excited um, to uh, hear about my uh, my. How, how cool your kids think you are? No, because they don't, um, as you know. But uh, maybe he needs to know about what I've been trying to do to minimize the uh, washing of the hands to deal with this uh, this quarantine COVID nineteen coronavirus um, you know pandemic that we're dealing with. Our uh, what a, it's probably one of the best intros he's probably ever going to get too for being on any podcast or any show. Oof, but um, my God, yeah. Our guest today, I just reached out c- courtesy of neighbor 
an actor, Nate Cordry, who just said, sometimes you just got to reach out to people right now because they may have nothing going on. So why don't you just start reaching out to people that you want to talk to and you'd be surprised who might get back to you. So I'm a huge fan. I'm not very active personally on Twitter, but I'm a huge fan of, of reading Super 70s sports um, and not just reading them on Twitter, but I found out about it by people actually texting me it it became like a, a second thread of text and it was the most frequent thing that people within my world were sharing and i'm sure i'm not alone in that but ricky cobb is no, joining patrick us today patrick, oh, well, Pete, he does like it but anyway so ricky cobb is with us today ricky thank you for coming on ricky the show cobb, super 70 sports guy hey guys hey How guys you? yeah you know i got i'm good you know i got that same covid message you did, and my you know my first yeah my my first reaction was you know I didn't even I didn't even schedule Utah Jazz this year, <laughs> so I, you know, I'm trying to go back and I'm trying to figure out how this uh, how this happened, but yeah, I, uh, a buddy of mine got me with that uh, he got me with that too, so that was pretty fine. Do you? Dude, I know it's, it's it's ridiculous, but it's one of those things. I'm like, I needed that right then so bad. <laughs> Do you, uh, Ricky? You have a family? Yeah, you have you have, ki- you have kids? Yeah, you okay. know, I've got five daughters Ooh, and okay. two stepdaughters. Seven? Now. You have seven so, in the house? Seven. Se- no, I've got zero in the house, actually. Um, people, I tell people i got five kids, and then it's like, like, oh, my gosh, everything must be crazy. And it's actually kind of the, the opposite. It's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of, like, sad because I can't, can't really be with them right now because they live with their, my ex. You know, and so, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing a lot of like, uh, you know, social, uh, media staying in touch with them and just kind of in that same weird place that a lot of us are right now. Yeah. 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 Are Are they in the same state or are they in a different state? They're in the same state. Yeah. They, they, they just live like maybe, yeah, they only live like maybe, you know, a 30 minute, 30 minute drive from here. And I, I normally see them you know weekends and you know whatever kind of your your standard dad visitation yeah. arrangement and, and then my two uh, stepdaughters they're they're both a little older they're in their early 20s okay. so so what i'm uh, reading you know, they're, into they're, your story they're off on their own so ricky what i'm yeah. reading into your story is your kids hate you and you're just trying to gloss it over that, um, <laughs> and you're using this you're using this quarantine as a way to say they would want to be with me if it wasn't for this gosh darn quarantine everybody <laughs> Um, yeah, I really feel like you can, you, you know, you can lay any sort of like odd family feud or or any uncomfortable family thing. You can just you can just shove it off on this COVID for a while. <laughs> you know, believe me, the, for sure. it could be the scapegoat scapegoat <laughs> for all manner of family issues right now. Why um, not? It totally is, and 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 we joke, you know, out here, we just wonder within the next three to five years how many pandemic comedy movies and television shows will be on television. And, and, the, and the question is, will any of us want to see any of that after having lived through it? Will we find any humor whatsoever? It's going to be it? a while. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to be reminded of your toothache, you know, yeah, so, exactly. but, 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 you know, you give it enough time and everything, right? I remember after 9-11 when, you know, they were pulling anything off the air that, you know, indirectly referenced anything even near the boundary of the subject. Exactly. Yeah. Airplanes yeah. suddenly are yeah. touchy. Hey, and, uh, take it off the air, dude, 9-11. Yeah. And then, you know, how many years later, you know, here came the flood of, you know, it just became, it became, uh, 
a greater impetus for people to write new scripts, right? I mean, they got you got an entire sort of subgenre out of nine eleven in some respects. So, it, you know, I it, tragedy tragedy plus time, I guess. But uh, you know, it's it's not too goddamn funny right now. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it is yeah. not. So, so going back to what I was I was I was bringing up, and because I, I figured, you know, I mean. You don't know me at all, so of course you're going to want to hear this story, uh, Ricky. So um, I I have a little bit of OCD, so I already wash my hands a lot, right? And so then this happens. I don't really leave the house. I mean, I don't barely ever leave the house. So when you're in the house, I don't know how – I'm just getting confused. Like, how often do you have to wash your hands? Like, everything – you know, from mail to every box that comes to every time I touch a door handle, do I wash my hands again? Whatever. Like, so I'm already like washing them a lot. So I tried this trick for a while where every time I went to go piss, I tried to work it where I didn't have to touch my penis at all and tried to work it in a way where like I could pee. And so it was one lap, like as long as I didn't have to touch a toilet seat or anything, I could walk in just let my freak flag fly, right, and just go pee. Hopefully it doesn't splatter all over the place. And then, you know, pull the, because I'm wearing sweatpants all the time, pull the sweatpants back over, right, and just move out my day. And it's one last time I got to clean my hands, right? The problem was I'm also in my... So many problems, dude. So many problems. Now we're at the problem. No, The problem is is you're telling this fucking story. No, the problem is this is something you felt we all needed to hear. Yes. So the problem is... That because I'm over 50, that the minute my penis goes back into its position, I end up peeing down my leg. So I had to stop. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't know how important the, 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 the shaking was. Hands are for shaking. <laughs> no, not, not, not after this. Not, not, not like, human, not, not hand-to-hand like combat. Yeah. Not handshakes. Hands are for shaking. But do you guys do you guys wash your hands a lot or like have you been able to figure out like this is the, I'm not washing them nonstop this is going to be fine like where where do you nope, fall I into the hand washing freakout? Speaking for myself, you know I'm mo- I'm most cognizant of it after I get a DoorDash or yeah. we have you know gro- groceries delivered or whatever you know it's like I go out on the front. Uh, the porch and I pick up like the bag of uh, you know Taco Bell or whatever like it's nuclear waste <laughs> yeah. and bring it back <laughs> into the, the house bag down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah my wife and I have this system and you know the system we, we've got these uh, like I don't know like baby wipes and then yep. we're then we're spraying the stuff on them to create these do-it-yourself Lysol wipes you know because God knows those things are more precious than gold now. So, yeah. Uh, but you know, the rest of the day, I don't think about it a lot when I'm inside, you know, it's uh, all the whole thing about touching your face and we all touch our face two or 3000 times a day and yada, yada, yada. And for me, my wife is really making a, a concerted effort to not touch her face as often, but inside the house, it, it, to me, it's like speech fillers. You might as well tell me to stop saying, uh, right. I, yeah. I can try, but I'm still going to have my hand in my face probably a thousand times a day just because I'm a dumbass. I just touched my face nine times when you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to prove to yourself, right. you could do it. The, um, I, but, the, but I agree with you. Once you're inside, like I, I do that too. I wipe down everything. We have a chair outside our door. We like the signs, you know, deliveries here. We wipe it so it's not going right on the ground. We wipe all it, 
everything down, spray it down, bring it in, take it out of the bag, get rid of the packaging immediately, and then like wipe down everything that doesn't like put the wipes directly onto food. <laughs> Do you guys have any um, neighbors that you're watching that that have complete disregard for what's going on, and you know that everything's going to be fine for them, and you're a little bit pissed off? Because, like, I can't control myself. <laughs> like, I'm a rule follower. So once you've instituted exactly what I, we're supposed to do, no matter not, That's not what you're doing. remove this thing, even if it wasn't this, whatever it is, whatever the rules are, I, I was raised to respect the rules. That's it. Rules of the game, right? So <laughs> when other people don't and they still get great things that happen to them, it drives me fucking insane. Because I can't do it. I can't be like them. I feel horrible. Ricky, do you do you do you, do you have any of that or are you actually a rule breaker so you don't care? But based on your description, I'm going to guess you're, you're it sounds like you're following well, the rules. You know, I'm following the rules in this case. I mean, I'm I'm the sort of person that if I pull up to a red light at 2 a.m. and nobody's around, I'm probably going. just going to fucking go. Right, yeah. you know. I don't I if, if the sign says no left turn and I look around and I don't see a cop and I don't see And you need to go else, left. I need to go left. I'm probably going to go left. So that's sort of my general philosophy in life until you start bringing death and, and suffering into the mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point, mass, I become a pretty murderer. good boy. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah, good. It's good yeah. to know that that's I'm, where you draw the line. Thank you. Versus like a I, little I bit of death and a little I, bit of I'm tragedy really, would be okay. I'm really with you, Ricky, on the like the um, the red lights and stuff like that. I always feel like I look around and then I go, "This sign isn't for me. This sign is for idiots." <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that, that aren't allowed to take yeah. left-hand turns because they're trying to do it when it's all this traffic. It's two in the morning. I can take this left. This sign isn't full. What are you guys like, talking about? That's everything. not why. Yeah. We all we both we all know why. You, you when if it's if it's two a.m. and the light is blinking, you're sitting there because we've seen too many horror movies where that's where you're dying. Oh come on! That's not... <laughs> and that's why in the back of your mind you're like, I need to get out of here. Because this only, is a shit in the movie where bad things are about to happen if I sit here. Only if you're somewhere you don't know. <laughs> is that what if it you're is? you're somewhere you're familiar with, it's never going to happen. But I feel like in the middle, it's not going to happen. I, I, I disagree, but, you know, I just think that subconsciously yeah, that's... I, well, I, I'm kind of with John on this because the, there's one specific place that I'm thinking of uh, in my community where there's like a no left-hand turn and... In my case, it's coming out of a Red Robin, which is, you know, pretty much the least badass <laughs> situation that you can be in. But I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe that's how I reclaim my masculinity. You know, it's just like, well, goddamn it, I, I just, I just went to a Red Robin, but your, your fucking signs aren't going to stop But I still me, got some balls. You know? Look at me. Look at me. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of, sort of like a, an accord that I've reached with myself. You know. <laughs> You do Red Robin, you got to do something rebellious afterwards. So, uh, um, yeah, you know, get, balance it out. Yep. So, the, going back to the reason why I'm, I was so excited to, to have you on is, is the Twitter feed. And I know you've probably answered this question a million times before in, with respects to it, but this, this twi Twitter feed, Super 70 Sports, um, this was not. This was never the plan. You're not like the 22-year-old kid that was trying to find fame on the internet. Like this this was something that was secondary in your life that took on a life of its own. Am I correct in that assessment? 
Yeah, I couldn't have really said that any better than than you just did. That's exactly what it was. Well, thanks for coming to the show, Ricky. I really appreciate you all of your. Um... Up, he's like, and all good. right. Well, I'm very good. Good luck with your good luck with your bathroom hygiene. <laughs> it was a hoot. You are, uh, and I, I could tell by your accent, you are obvious. You are not. You're you're living in the Chicago area, correct? Uh, but you are not. It does not sound like you are a Chicago in. By, uh, are you are you rep- referencing the fact that I sound like a hillbilly, sir? Uh, um, you yeah. sound like my friend Greg the Bunny. <laughs> so uh, Greg the, from Greg the Bunny yeah. is from Kentucky, and oh. and and as am I. So there you go. <laughs> you, 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 you nailed it. Part of Kentucky, I, dudes. I am from a town called Horse Cave, Kentucky. No, really, which doesn't sound like a real place. You know, but uh, yeah. I had a friend God. from Hazard County, Kentucky. So no, no. Um, let's get I, back to that name, Ricky. Was that uh, was it an elementary school contest to name this the town you were from, and that's what they came <laughs> up with? Like, how do you? How did they? Horse I mean, Cave. Legend. <laughs> All right. Well, Horse Cave, Kentucky. Now. It, it was the legend was is that when I was a kid was that a horse had fallen in a cave, oh. <laughs> and I don't know someone someone aptly just summarized that scenario into uh, into a name. Then later on, I heard that it's it was a, a horse it was some play on a, a term of hoss cave, which meant large cave. Jesus Christ, I sound like the world's tour guide from the hell, <laughs> but. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> you're just like Jesus Christ. I want my five fucking dollars back. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you sound like the but tour anyway, guy that's yeah, ju- that's five minutes from quitting his job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The horse, <laughs> the, the, the horse came tour guide who's just at it. Peace <laughs> out. But uh, but but the interesting thing is, it's a little you know one red light town when I lived there, two thousand population. But they had a theater with like very very you know, for, for the town, really, really quality theater. And John Voight, this is like wow. my George Costanza story. John Dude, Voight yeah. was, uh, Dude, was part just... owner of the horse cave theater. So, uh, Oh wow. You know, from, John, is, he was, he he, he was trying to give us a little culture. Was, is he, is he, is he, no, a... I, you know, I, I, you know, there was a guy that owned it named Warren Hammock, who was an actor and he appeared, you know, in some like bit roles in Hollywood. I don't okay. know if, John Voight knew him through that, but absolutely, believe me, like if you want to talk about the towns in America that would have been very, very unlikely candidates for any sort of Hollywood person to pass through, much less actually have a business investment in, it, it would have been Horse Cave. Right. That's so, that's a really, yeah. so when you, so you grew up in a very, very small, what's the closest metropolitan city to where you were growing up? Well, Major League City, Cincinnati at that time. Which is how far um, yeah, away? That's before, uh, God, you know, it was like probably a three-hour drive. Oh, well, okay. like yeah, that. Not bad, not bad. Uh, well. Not, ter- not terrible. Uh, you, you, you had Louisville about an hour and a half to the north, Nashville about an hour and a half to the south. Okay. Those but, were the two, those were the quote-unquote big cities, you know, in my mind when I was a little kid. So, so, but that also, you know, I'm a Midwesterner as well. I mean, we would consider any of that, hour and a half or more, that's a day trip. That's not like a let's just run into town for a sec and then run back. Was that the mentality? Did those places seem like event-based trips or did you guys freak with them? Or was that just considered a whole other I, world when you were a kid? 
Dude, man, you're you're asking questions that people don't normally ask me, but <laughs> I, I can I can tell you the answer. I mean, my my world as a kid, basically, since Cincinnati, Ohio was the North Pole, Nashville was the <laughs> South Pole. Yeah, <laughs> and I got to go to one Cincinnati Reds game a year. My mom would take me to one Reds game a year. And that was the highlight of the year every sure. year. Uh, maybe I maybe I would go to Opryland, uh, the the theme park in Nashville, maybe about once a year. And so you circled those days on the calendar, and the rest of the time, you know, uh, was spent knocking around Horse Cave, my friends. Yeah, yeah, and again, I mean, I the reason why I always ask that is because that's kind of how I mean. I grew up in a very large family, and so I was the youngest of seven. And, you know, we, we were okay. We we're middle class, but we didn't take family vacations. We didn't go to Disneyland. We didn't do that kind of like big event. There's stuff. seven of you, dude. Well, That's they just didn't. Your parents fucking yeah. Thurston Howell? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, given, you know, depending on the seven day. fucking kids on vacation. Yeah. My God. <laughs> well, we did. We would, we would, we would, we would go to a vacation place, like, you know, camping and stuff like that, but like event based stuff, you know, not really. And it's funny, you know, having moved out to Los Angeles. And having a family out here where it's like, you know, it's a it's a, it's a stone's throw away from pick pick something that you want to do, you know, that that's event based. And my kids are like, nah. And I'm like, OK, you spoil little pieces of shit like you. You have no <laughs> idea how good we have it. Like, yeah, we could we everybody else has to plan a hate filled family argued vacation to go to Disneyland. That is not going to end well for them. It's going to cost them yeah. $15,000. There's going to oh be a lot God. of fighting and Crying. a couple pictures to prove that they had a good time. That's it. We could do that every day of the week. And they're like, nah, I'm good. Now, maybe they've got <laughs> life figured out better than I did. But it doesn't matter. My point is, um, you know, it just wasn't. It, it, life is different when you don't live next to all that stuff. And when you do get a chance to do it. You get stoked about it, and you look at those places so differently. You're so fascinated with them when you get there because I'm assuming, whether it was Louisville or Cincinnati, um, Ricky, I'm assuming it it felt different to you. It's like it probably was a different culture, like a different world, and you probably were, I'm guessing, were excited to go hang out there and see what it was all about, yes, when you were a kid? Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I remember... I remember a friend of my dad's. All right, let me let me get all the sad parts of my story out. We've already established oh, no. that I'm separated from my children, and oh god, you know it's really it's really bad. And I'm just laying the you know I'm laying the blame at the feet of a virus because I can't confront reality. So we've already we've already addressed that. But my dad my dad passed away when I was five, so oh. I, I was raised. I had a really yeah, I mean, I had a good childhood. You know, no complaints. But I mean, it was me and my mom. She never remarried. So and you were an only child, and sisters, and I was an only child. We were a family of two. Oh, okay. So, um, so you know, I, my grandparents, who were wonderful people uh, on my mom's side, they, uh, you know, coming back to what you were saying earlier about day trips, I, I, those those folks, I mean, they weren't going anywhere that they couldn't be back in their own bed that night. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> in my entire life. Uh, you know, my my grandparents, as far as I know, they were in their own bed uh, at night, other than maybe visiting my uncle once in a while. That would have been it. But that so does, it was a it was a big deal to go places. You know, just going back to what you were saying, you're spot on. And it's also, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, you're also describing a very typical, not atypical, but very typical um, Middle America mentality. 
right? Like that. That's just how we yeah. all rolled back then. That was the thing. It's like, well, what 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 does the day present to us, and what is what do I got to? How is it going to interfere with me getting back to my own bed that night? Like that's otherwise we're calling it. A, it's like an actual vacation. It has to be a vacation if I'm not coming back to my bed tonight. It has to be special. Well, otherwise, yeah, you got you have to rationalize paying for a hotel. Yeah, that was what parents don't yeah. have to do. It's like. You, Why would I pay for a hotel? I have a bed and, and mortgage. And, and um, you know, going back to continuing to this very special episode of Ricky <laughs> Cobb, um, the, um, uh, uh, the idea of being raised by your mom in a, in a small town, I, I guess it's like also given the time, this is what the, is this the, I don't know exactly how old you are. Are we talking about late 70s, early 80s? Are we talking about only in the 80s and part of the 90s? Like what was... What uh, decade was your primary like uh, influence of, of growing up? Your oh, formative I, years. I was born in seven. Yeah, well, I was born in seventy-one. I'm forty-eight. Okay. So, uh, you know, l- late seventies. You know, you know, mid to late seventies through the eighties. Okay. Is, is really, you know, I would consider to be my formative years. So, entertainment-wise, as we know back then, because all of us are around that same age, is that you had a couple networks, you had a couple things going on on UHF as far as TV went. Most of the other entertainment was left to us being kicked out of the house to go find something to do. So, like, where obviously you developed this amazing imagination. Uh, and maybe you had it all the time, and that's what I'm curious to like. And we'll we'll get to the Twitter stuff uh, at some point, but obviously that had to have come from somewhere. Is, did did it, did the that type of imagination always exist in you even back then? Well, you know, who knows where any of this stuff comes from? I I can give you an answer, but I'm I'm speculating, I guess, because. You know, having done the Twitter for five years now, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about just where does the where does the creative muse come from, and how did I develop this uh, sort of very specific? <laughs> I'm like Liam Neeson and Taken. This very specific <laughs> set of skills. That's true. <laughs> you honed it, you know, you honed it. <laughs> that I have, but I have honed it, and, and so you do wonder how you get there. You know, I mean, was. You know, I've wondered, you know, my dad passed away uh, the day after my fifth birthday in 70, August of 76. I don't know on some level did I become fascinated with the 70s because it was sort of this mythological time that the father that I never really got to knew, uh, to know, you know, was still around. I don't know. I mean, th- th- maybe there's something to that or maybe that's just a convenient well, way to look at it. But But I do wonder sometimes – you know, how, how do we, and I'm a sociologist. That's my, that's my day job. I'm a, I'm a college sociology professor. So oh, wow. okay. I think about it in those terms anyway, you know? So uh, yeah, how, how we turn out the way that we turn out, you know, is a, is a very difficult riddle sometimes. Well, and the fact but, that you, you tackled Twitter in your forties, when we all joke about the fact that we're not supposed to be there in the first place, we weren't, we were not asked we actually just bullied our way into the into that platform yeah. where we're supposed oh, to. Oh, anyone s- can have an account. I'm going to do this too. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh no, people are like, oh great, oh great, dads on Twitter. But no, it's just um, you obviously chose, uh, and I'm curious as to because it's your stuff is so funny, and as as a comedian, a comedic writer, and living in that world, and I'm sure John would agree with me here. It's just you. you um, 
it, the, the the career path that you chose, and then it, and then this other part of you like just comes out and hits like a lion on the internet. Obviously, it meant that you were always supposed to be there, but it, it's interesting how they couldn't have been more polar opposite for a certain amount of time. I'm guessing though. You were probably always a little bit sarcastic, and maybe were, were you kind of the guy that your group of friends really loved to hear stories from, or or no, or were you an introvert, and the internet changed you? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, people who know me well certainly know that I'm I'm going to be cracking wise and that, like, comments yeah, you, and so forth. If you were talking to your friends at a party about sports, it would be kind of like your Twitter feed, right? It would, it really would, because I mean, yeah. because the Twitter feed is really just that. The Twitter feed is really just me talking the way that I would talk to my friends if we were hanging out and we were all in a good mood and yeah, we were laughing about sports, hanging out. Yeah, right. And that, and the Twitter feed is. I tell people that the Twitter feed is probably it's, it's me but maybe just turn you know the the dials just turned up a couple of notches sure but you, yeah, but you gotta but amp it up but a as little far bit as what it is yeah it's, it's just my personality so yeah i've always been that way but going and going to reds games i mean you're going to reds games at a time if you're going in the late 70s i mean they were on fire back then you know what i mean they were they were a good team so that was fun baseball then they went through some lean years in the eighties. So you see a lot of real sh shitty Reds games, but that was when they played at the old stadium, right? That was the, what was it? Where were they playing before they played at the um, Great American or whatever it's called now? Yeah, it, it was a riverfront stadium. Riverfront. And, that was, okay. Yeah. And that was, you know, I mean, here again, uh, the 1980 was the first time I got to go. Uh, a, fr a friend of my uh, dad's, I also had a son and we were, we were on the same uh, T-ball team, I think. And so nice. he took myself, his son and another one of our friends up there. I was eight years old and I saw the San Francisco giants play the Cincinnati Reds. And, you know, granted this is a little bit after the, <laughs> after the, the big the, red the machine had been, yeah, the machine had already been uh, disassembled. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you still had George Foster, you still had bench, but uh, Morgan was gone. Uh, Rose was gone. So it was not quite the same thing, but, yeah. but still magical. I mean, Jack Clark hit a home run in the first inning and oh, I'll wow. never forget it, you know? So, I mean, those are the kinds of things that, you know, this is 40 years ago and there's aspects of going to that game that I can remember, you know, it feels like it was, you know, uh, earlier this year. So, you know, it's right. really the kind of thing that made a big impression on a, on a little kid from a small town who had never seen anything, you know, Riverfront stadium for me would have been like walking down, you know, Times Square. Yeah. Because what did I have to compare it to? Right. Yeah. It was, it was all of that to me. You know, I grew up in, uh, outside of Milwaukee, uh, um, and you know, County stadium, which, <laughs> which was basically, we used to joke and just call it the world's biggest half barrel. Cause that's what it looked like. It looked like if you were to take a half barrel and then cut it in half and then put a baseball diamond on, on the, in the, on the bottom of it, that's what it looked and smelled like. And that's what it, and, it was supposed to. I maybe I don't know, but it's funny um, to watch like MLB Network will show like um, old footage, like like they've got those ep episodes called Seasons and stuff like that, and they'll show like yeah. games, you know, seasons in the seventies and early eighties, and you forget like you look at all these fields now, and you forget like over the last two three decades they've been converting them all into mini malls, 
And when we were going to these games, I mean, uh, outside of like Riggy Field and, and Fenway, I mean, most of these places were just these hollow... <laughs> We thought they were like godlike, you know, gladiator like, you know, domes, you know. But when you look at them, whether it's the Astrodome or like, you know, or, oh, yeah. or like Riverfront or any of these. Well, and my favorite thing is when you watch these old ones, you could see where they were like, ah, somebody fucked up some of the AstroTurf over there. Just cut out a piece and put another, another piece over there. And it wouldn't even match. match. No, it didn't match. They didn't care. I mean, it was just, I mean, I'm assuming, R- Ricky, sometimes when you look at all this stuff, you, you have to laugh at yourself of, like, the world that we grew up in, whether it was, like, only 5,000 people in the stands, which is so rare now for any, you know, major sports team, or just just how run down and beat up some of these stadiums were, or how, or how or fans running out oh. of the field, and how out of control or just oh. half-assed everything was. But that's what also <laughs> made it so romantic to me. It's it's remarkable when you look back on it today. Uh, you know, you're talking about the turf. There are, I mean, there are aerial shots of Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia oh. that it would just blow your mind. I mean, you know, it's not fit for. Uh, you know, you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to send your worst enemy out there. And I think it was Wendell Davis of the of the Chicago Bears who went up for a pass. Uh, during a game at the vet and came down and blew out both of his ACLs when he came down. So that's the kind of danger in some cases. I was, uh, I was interviewing Rudy May a few years ago, the the, the pitcher for the, uh, for the Baltimore Orioles and Yankees and a few other teams. And, And he was, he was, he was telling me about how he broke his ankle. He caught his, uh, he caught, uh, on a seam at Olympic stadium in Montreal. Uh, going to try to back up a throw at third base, just just hit a seam, and there went the ankle and out for the season. So oh. there were some occupational hazards with uh, with the turf, but you know, can they talk about the concrete donuts and and all of that from that era? And certainly they were big. You know, you pretty much got it right. They were big, hollow, uh, very no frills sort of multi purpose venues. But um, you know, but. The mall parks that we have today, they they all kind of blend together too, for the most part, I suppose. So yeah, I saw um, it's I a saw di- that, different kind of thing. Yeah, I was just say I saw that tweet you put up about um, Old Comiskey, and you were like, uh, <laughs> you know, because Old Comiskey was kind of a shovel, oh but New Comiskey isn't awesome. And but you're right, at least Old Comiskey, or it's not even called New Comiskey; it's called something else now. But like Comiskey was like, at least it never became, you know. TD Bank of Trade of America, you know, Joseph A. Bank fucking dot com Gillette Stadium. Well, dude, the, the, the name that they have now, it's, it's one thing for it to be U.S. Cellular Field. We, we here in Chicago called it the cell. Mm-hmm. We kind of got used to that. But then it, now it's guaranteed rate field, which sounds a lot, <laughs> if you're not really listening, it sounds a lot like guaranteed rate field. <laughs> and then you think to yourself, well, you know, it's not like a great neighborhood, but I mean, it's, <laughs> but it's, I don't not, think guaranteed. Guaranteed it's not guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got a shot, don't you? I mean, I, it's not, that's not even sporting. So, yeah, but it's guaranteed. Uh, no one would go to those games. Come on. My yeah, two. Yeah, but it, terrible name. Terrible, terrible. One of are, the, are you. Oh, go ahead. No. Oh, sorry, I was going to ask really quick. And you're a White Sox fan? I'm a Cubs fan. Ah, oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> I'm from yeah. the, I'm, I'm from yeah, the I'm Burbs of Chicago, born and raised. I've been a well, Cubs that, fan that was one of 
that was one of the big perks for me when I when I moved here in 2003 for my uh, for my teaching gig. That was one of the things I was most geeked about is, uh, you know, what Brian was referencing earlier, just the fact that, uh, yeah, unlike our kids, uh, you know, I really did appreciate moving to a place where there was so much to do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely not lost on me. Even now, as I approach 50, I am still kind of the, I'm still kind of the excited, you know, 11 year old wherever I go. Because I'm well aware that, you know, when I woke up on my 21st birthday, I had been to Riverfront Stadium. Yeah. And that was the only, that was the only major was park, you know. So, so to have gone to as many places as I've been able to go with that, with that sort of, uh, you know, beginning, I, you know, I, I feel very fortunate. The, uh, did you watch, did you watch WGN in Kentucky growing up? Were you able to see Cubs games on the TV a lot? Yeah, it was a game changer, man. I, I think I was in, I want to say I was in fifth grade when we got cable. And so cable was, you know, that not only did that mean WGN, but it meant, it meant WTDS. It yeah, meant W-O-R. MT. Yeah, it meant, uh, I didn't get OR at that point, although we got a satellite dish a few years later, and that really changed the game for me. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, WGN was, uh, was, a really big deal because up until that point in time, we got some Reds games, not a ton. And then otherwise you were depending on the NBC game of the week or ABC's Monday night baseball, Monday night baseball. and things like that. Wow. Monday Which night baseball. Underrated. Wow. Underrated as hell too, right? Yeah. yeah. If you loved baseball, yeah. there was nothing more exciting as a kid to have Monday night baseball. And I believe was Howard Cosell doing those ones too? Or was that, um, Trying to think who was, or did they have a, a couple different people uh, calling those games? I can't remember if it was Co- Cosell. seemed to be like the go-to guy back then for everything. I'm trying to remember. I, you know, I think they had, I think they had maybe they had Bob Prince on some of those games. I think maybe Warner Wolf did some of them. Euchre may ABC? have been on some of those. Telecasts. Oh, dude, Euchre, um, Euchre should have been a, yeah. Euchre should have been the staple of Monday Night Baseball. Jesus. Yeah, but uh, you know they're postseason teams. I don't know if they. I can't really remember with the Monday night games, but certainly, you know, the postseason team was usually Keith Jackson, Howard Cosell, yeah. and somebody else. You know, um, and uh, you know, I, I always thought the ABC baseball teams were 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 pretty good overall. I mean, certainly it was very theatrical. That was my introduction, and they were yeah. very theatrical. But of course, of course, you know, Howard. Howard Cosell made he, he could make anything seem like an event. Oh so. my God! Right. I mean, the, the one thing I don't—I mean, for the amount of people that take dumps on Joe Buck, they have no <laughs> idea. They have no idea how out of control and entertaining all of the play-by-play guys were from the the seventies and the early eighties, and the fact that we were kids. And for some reason, and I'm I'm going even as far as like Jimmy the Greek, and these guys were out of control. You could just tell that these guys were like partiers, and they love sports, and they just ranted, but they also called the game. It was such a unique time. You don't get that anymore. That does not exist. And I, you know, it's just it's just a different time. I I I would love. That's why when anybody ever starts complaining about an announcer, I'm like, I don't care. 
I don't care. They're just calling a game. Whatever. You have no idea what a great, colorful game you could have got back in the seventies and eighties. Dude, 80s. yeah, I've I've been watching these old I have this old box set of like Cubs, the best Cubs games before the twenty sixteen World Series was like an Andre Dawson game, a Stanberg game, a Sutcliffe game, and Harry uh, Carey. Yeah, and Harry Carey calling most of these games with Steve Stone and just ugh, the the passion and hilarity with which he called baseball was really just unparalleled, man. It was hilarious and awesome. There was a there was a lot greater variation in style, I think. It was it was a lot more distinctive. You had Scully in LA and you had you had Harry Carey in Chicago and you had Harwell in Detroit and you had Jack Buck in St. Louis and you had uh, uh, Harry Callis in Philadelphia and so on and so on. <clears throat> And they were all kind of different in their in their own way. And I'm not saying that we that we don't have any variation, but a lot of these guys no. sound like they all went to the they all went to the same generic broadcast. Land, oh. boring as shit. Like the guys you just yeah. named, they all knew each other and none of them wanted to sound alike. It's the difference of like, you know, they had to have their catch thing, they had to have their phrases, they had to have their the thing that made them stand out. It's the equivalent of when people are like, LeBron James went to Miami to play basketball, and Michael Jordan's like, dude, I didn't want to join teams with Magic Johnson. I wanted to beat the shit out of Magic Johnson. Like, the competitive edge, the the difference of like, now I'm just a baseball player. They're all corporate guys now. It's like, I, I don't mean to like pick on Len and Bob, but like, they're not Harry and Steve. You know what I mean? Like, well, the there world is, is a definite the, difference. The world is a little bit different. Like, I remember watching a Cubs game once, and I know that there was always the the joke that by the seventh inning, Harry was drunk off of fifteen Budweisers, and there. And the thing is, he probably was first off, and still, as a viewer, I was okay with that. But I'll never forget one game where, like. And it was towards, it was at the time, uh, there was a baseball player named George Bell was playing right field yeah. for the Cubs. And, I, and there, was, there was two of my favorite moments, uh, Harry Carey moments. One was that, where a guy hit a fly ball and he's like, there he is, George Bush is going to take it in. I'm like, no, Harry, <laughs> that is not George Bush out there. And he and like you could just the Steve Stone part was always like it's George Bell Harry like it's always just the guy that's just like cleaning up the mess from drunk Harry and my other favorite yeah. one from Harry Carey and this is what it's the passion it's the colorful nature of these guys that I miss was I mean I was I grew up a huge only poster I have is a Sports Illustrated I have two I'm sorry I have two Sports Illustrated posters that I still have one is of Walter Payton one of the greatest probably the in my mind one of the the greatest running back of all time for just because he that's played on shitty teams in there. And and I'm Packer fan. And I would still say that. Um, and I also have a poster of Bill Buckner. And I yes. I remember Bill Buckner when we when they found out that he was getting traded to the Boston Red Sox. So Harry Carey makes this big deal. <laughs> he goes, "Wow, everybody! This is the last time we're gonna see Bill Buckner in a Chicago Cubs." Forgive my impression, but I have to do it. Um, Chicago Cubs University's last at bat of. Good job. One of the greatest Cubs ever to play for the popped it up. Oh, come on. Like, he just got immediately, <laughs> like, went from, like, praising him to, oh, what a way to go out. Get out of here. Like, just immediately. And it just, I, I remember laughing out, feeling bad, but simultaneously laughing out loud at how quickly he turned on him. Well, I don't think those old guys were worried about being liked by the players. You know what I mean? There like, was Harry no Kerry Twitter. Was a, as big a fan of the game 
and and that team as the fans in the stands. So his reactions were comparable to a guy sitting in the nosebleeds, like, come on, you piece of shit, let's go. So this is what brings me to Twitter. There was no social media constantly attacking them that the network was watching and paying attention to and knee-jerk reacting to, which is how you get all these vanilla commentators now because they just know that I can make a good a great deal of money if I just stay the line. Does that make sense? I don't know, Ricky, I don't know what your take on that is, but it seems like that's part of it. Well, I think it makes perfect sense. And at the same time, you know, we've also seen, I guess the, I guess where I have a little trouble reconciling it is as far as game announcers, play-by-play guys, I think that's definitely true. But I think we've seen a lot of people, you know, sort of the, ESPNization of uh, Sports Center and just the ESPN network as a whole, where it's it's moved over to being very personality driven and being very take driven and being being very fake controversy driven. Oh, the whole yeah. embrace debate sort of dynamic and everybody, you know, it's almost like uh, ESPN sort of became like MTV's The Real World. You know, like <laughs> yeah. the, the first. Yeah. Season, the first couple of seasons were actually fairly compelling television, you know, if you're if you're willing to give me that. But yeah. as we got into like, you know, subsequent seasons and people sort of had this idea of what the real world was and how can I use the real world to further my own career, yep. it became something else. And um, That's a real good I'm, not sure why, I'm, not, I'm not sure why broadcasting has become duller and we've seen you know studio shows try to artificially become sort of this this fake kind of kind of uh you know i want to stand out uh jocularity and all that you know the work sort of like the worst aspects of studio shows yes you know what i'm talking about you know where you wake up on a sunday morning and you got three or four guys patting each other on the back and fake laughing at each other for an hour you know that's the pregame Ugh. No matter what network you're on, that's yeah. the pregame. Yeah, it's just the, the pregame. NFL is the NFL is the worst for that. All the pregame NFL guys, all they it's just a big everyone just kind of cram each other's balls in each other's mouths. It's like get out of here. It's so fucking annoying. Well, what's interesting yeah, about maybe you'll maybe you at home will think we're as cool as we think we are. Yes, that they're they're, they're trying to fool you into. It's like what the applause sign did for sitcoms. It's like. If we laugh hard yeah. enough at each other, you're going to think Terry Bradshaw's hilarious. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. I think the one thing that probably hasn't changed is, you know, everybody always talks about one of the greatest sports books ever written was Ball Four. And I don't think that that mentality of what's going on, like, I, I, I played sports. I've been, I'm around kids now that play sports. And, you know, my son plays in high school. I, I know that there's a lot of a lot of inappropriate conversations and just bullshit that's happening there that has nothing to do with the corporate side of what eventually sports turns itself into. And, and, and Ball 4 was kind of like the first time to say, look, there's a lot of crap these guys are doing, you know, that you may or may not know about. And quite frankly, I think as long as I'm not hurting anybody, I also don't care. You know, and I, I don't, I, but I, I guarantee you a lot of that, stu- that stuff is still happening, but they just kind of, the corporate side of it just is now recleaning that stuff up again, right? It's all image-based because it's money-based, and I get it. I'm not, like, mad. I just kind of miss some of the character, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, where it's 70s baseball to now, what is the, would you rather watch a game back in the 70s? I mean, the players now are faster, they're 
you know, they're more accurate to, to a certain extent, I guess. I don't know. They're, there's, they work out different. They have different bodies. But well, I don't know. 70s baseball is pretty entertaining. Well, that's the one thing I wanted to ask Ricky about because when I was growing up, it was even then I knew that the Milwaukee Brewers were so out of shape and so hilarious looking <laughs> from, from every, and you, you go, I mean, you go way down the path on pointing out how, how the, the looks that people were sporting and the body shapes. I mean, let's just talk about that for a second. It, 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 you know, I think it was probably with the mid nineties when athletics, specifically baseball, they started looking more and more like physiques, more like, football players and basketball players, they started becoming more machine-like. But before that, oh, my God. When did you start picking up on that stuff, Ricky? And when did you just decide, you know I gotta, I have to, I have to bring this up? I mean, let's be honest. We're all thinking it, but no one's saying anything. Well, it's a mixture because, you know, it's like the 70s are, they're kind of all the best aspects of not being in shape. They're, <laughs> they're fat. They're fat and sloppy. So that's one thing, but they're also skinny and scrawny, you yeah. know? So you got the fat guy, but then you've got emaciated guys, right? <laughs> like middle, middle, middle infielders that look like they can barely lift a fucking bat, you know, yeah. like they got, no, you, you watch like an old game from the seventies. Yeah. You know, like Johnny LeMaster or uh, Mark Belanger, guys like that. They come Sweet up to that. Every, every team had like a couple of these guys. And they would come up and you'd just be like, well, we're down to the bottom third of the order. You know, I mean, go get a hot dog. I mean, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be lucky to get it out of the infield. I mean, I got no, I can go take a leak now. No problem. Yeah. You know, I can, pra- I can practice my elaborate, you know, don't touch my dick method. Uh, you know, and I'll, I'll I got all the time in the world. Three up, three, three up and three down. You know, the other pitcher's got to come out, take his warm up tosses. I'll be fine. I'll be in my seat. It, by so, the way, some of the, you know, it, sorry, continue Ricky. I'm sorry. No, no. I, I was just going to say, and then you add into that, you know, how popular smoking was, oh, you yeah. add into that, the fact that, you know, I mean, almost everybody was drinking, you know, beer at a minimum and, and probably real man's drinks uh, for sure. most of those guys. Everybody was 28 and looked 47. Dude, you that's know, the it was craziest a, thing. Dude, everyone looks like an old lawyer, a mob lawyer, or like an accountant, or like even like I said this to the day. I was like, even the even the rookies in the seventies and eighties looked like like grizzled homicide detectives about to retire. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. There's a uh, there's two cards that come to mind right now. So if any of your listeners uh, want to pause this and look up these cards, but I, I can tell you exactly. There's a there's a 1984 Donruss rated rookie of Doug Froble. And Doug Froble, I've tweeted this card before, but there, uh, you know, I say, God, Doug Froble looks like he's seen a lot of shit for a rookie. <laughs> you know, there's just, there's a, he looks sort of, and it's not even that he looks that old. He just looks empty only in the way that people that have lived through very difficult things look. Uh, it's the kind of look you see on the walking dead sometimes, yeah. you know, it's just, it's a countenance that just says, like, you know, like Doug Froble looks like maybe 28, but it's just like, man, like that has been a hard 28. Oh, that's know? a 28, that's and a 28, then, like nine tours and nine 28. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that's a, like he knows guys who have ear necklaces, 28. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, at that point, he's but been then, to see Brando, but his fucking uh, house. Is, you know. 
Apocalypse Now. Yeah. And then there's another one. It's the 1982 Tops, uh, you know, rookies, whatever. The th- one of those three-player specials, right? And there's a guy on that card. I believe his name's Chuck Armstrong. And he definitely looks – I tweeted it out once, and I said, he is a 38-year-old undercover police officer, and you're not telling me otherwise. You know, it's <laughs> – <laughs> you have to see it. But I'm like, that guy is infiltrating the Pacific Coast League, and he's going to take down some sort of – there's some sort of Hawaiian drug trade. And he's, you know, he's got, if he's got to give like, you know, 40 innings to the Hawaii Islanders, you know, in order to get to the bottom of this shit, then you know, he's going to find a way to do it. Yeah. But, it, but it's ridiculous. You don't see anybody nowadays, particular, particularly any young player that looks anything like these cats, man. It was, a, you know, they, they were, we were living hard, I guess, you know, those cigarettes and adult beverages add up. I think they lived a lot harder and they knew less about the body. Well, I mean, yeah. Like, Conditioning was not. Now, yeah, there's stuff now players can do that it's like, it's just common sense at this point. Like, when you, after a workout, you get nice stuff. You do this, you do that, you know. They get back in, it's like, have another hot dog, pussy. Like, and then that was it. They walked it off and then got back into it. <laughs> Did you guys. Oh, I mean, spring, spring training was necessary, you know? Yeah. That's, yeah. Like, that's, we needed... that's, yeah, they used to show up and, 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 and it, they had to get in shape though. Yeah. Yeah. Spring training is mostly for the pitchers now because they can't just show up and you know they're going to blow their arms out if they right. go go from 0 to 100, but for the everyday players, they don't they don't need a month. I mean, Those these guys, guys are showing up back, in perfect shape, yeah, they don't. They're they're showing up in better shape probably on day 1 of spring training in many cases than our heroes, our youth were you know middle mid-season form john i think ricky do you hear john breaking up a little bit i'm just gonna just do it i just want to make sure if it maybe it's just me just slightly just slightly okay it might be your headset john but ricky i'm gonna ask you a question do you ever see the documentary like a lot of people may like "Ah, i don't want to watch old baseball but do you ever see the documentary Uh, i think it was called the battered bastards of baseball or something like that it was it was about you were brought the pacific coast mavericks yes did you see that russell's dad Yes. Yeah, it was the Portland Mavericks. Yeah, Jim Bouton, Jim Bouton played for them for a while. Yeah, and that pretty much sums up everything we're talking about. Like, if you really want to know what, to me, when I watched that, I was like, yep, that makes all, everything I'm seeing there, yep. It, it defined that time period so perfectly, you know, that, that it's a great doc. I mean, if you love baseball, it's a great doc. I mean, I... You know, I mean, I, I think you could you could appreciate it just for what it is. If you just love that, you know, that time frame as well, it, it delves into that as well. But that other than and you were talking yeah, about like I'll second that. Yeah. yeah. And you were talking about like now guys are in shape. I think now you're an anomaly. You're Bartolo Colon. Like there is nobody else. Like they point out like you, you'll even see him. Like, oh, yeah, they'll be like, hey, there's the there's the one there's the one fat guy. There he is. And they kind of laugh yeah. about it. Right. Yeah, you know? they said, you know, hey, look at the fat guy. When I was a kid, you, you know, you'd be like, well, like, which one? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a different. <laughs> it's not, but yeah, it's a, it's a novelty now. Even in the 90s, uh, I think, you, you still would see some fat guys in a way that you don't. Like, I remember the 93 Phillies, like that yeah, group of. Yeah, Croc and and Darren Dalton and you know all of those guys and they they had some dudes on that team that were kind of crazy and they had some dudes on that team that were kind of out of shape and 
they were kind of a throwback, but, uh, you know, everything nowadays, not just in baseball, but in every sport, you know, we're so ruthlessly trying to, you know, find the most efficient, optimal way to do everything. And, you know, one way that we see that manifested is in training. And another way that we see it manifested is in technique. And I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the technique differences that made batters and pitchers interesting when we were kids, keeping in, you know, on the baseball uh, tip, I think it's, I think it's been coached out of kids nowadays. You know, I'm not saying that they're not great players, but you know, there's, there's a lot more similarity. I think, Uh, you know, you certainly see it with pitchers. When I was a kid, you know, pitchers had distinctive windups and motions and I don't see that nearly as much today. No, that's true. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, no, I mean everything a lot is of kind similarity, of similarity, really. Everything is very clinic based. My kids are are you know are going through youth sports right now, and my son's a pretty good baseball player, and my other son's a pretty good uh, football player, and specifically with baseball, because football doesn't have like travel teams and all that kind of stuff. You see the system that's already in place, and it's a huge money maker too. Something that I don't think existed when we were growing up. That youth sports is also big, big into making money. Like it, and, 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 and it's everybody's, it's everybody, you know, sharing their, you know, their Billy Blanks techniques on how to, you know, you know, get their thing. And I think that was also a byproduct of probably started in the eighties where people were like, I know the right way and the only way to get in shape, or I know the right way and the only way to get rich. And now it's kind of translated into youth sports now where guys are like, I know the only way and the right way to make it to the big leagues. It's like, nope, that's not how it works, dude. Genetics have a lot to say about that, you know? So it doesn't really... It doesn't really matter. I do have another question for you, Ricky. It's like, um, and it, it kind of, I'm curious as to how you ended up choosing the career that you have outside of what you did. But also, were, when I was growing up, there was two things that I was big into. Love statistics, so loved getting the newspaper. And even if I saw a game, I still wanted to read the stats. And the second thing was, when ESPN first came on, they used to run scores and stats um, before, and I, and I think you made a joke about this on Twitter about trying to t- explain to kids there was a time where TV wasn't on, and I think that was one. I'm, I'm probably screwing up. I'm paraphrasing it poorly. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about, where it's like it went off. There wasn't. You couldn't turn the TV on to watch anything. It didn't exist. It signed off. There yeah. wasn't TV. Well, well, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna lead me back to your question because I'm gonna lose it because what you just said made me think of something else. Right. Well, I, what I was saying you know, was like wo- so the, the world. Oh, I was just gonna. I'll, I'll finish my point of... that I was just gonna say was that. Okay, yeah, please, please. Because when the yeah, TV first came on, especially like ESPN, before they actually came on to broadcast. They would just do filler, which was statistics and information. They would show the batting leaders. They would show the home run leaders. They would show the scores. They would just show that stuff. And then they would go to live programming. And it was like all this this really stat-driven stuff that um, I, I don't, I don't want to assume that I know the kids don't do it now, but I just don't think they, everybody looked at it the same way that we did as kids growing up between baseball cards and a big part of the baseball cards is reading the stats on the backside and knowing stats and knowing information. I don't think is, is as crucial. It is as now that's what I was kind of was saying, but go back to, you can say whatever you want. Yeah. No, sure. Well, let me take that first because I think you're, I think you're right. The stats and the box, you know, box scores, for instance, right. I, I don't know how much young people care about box scores nowadays, but, uh, but box, box scores were, my God, they were like, they were like oxygen. When I was a kid, I mean, I had to see the box scores and you get the Sunday paper. I, we would get the Sunday Louisville Courier Journal and you'd pull it out and it was the best because not only did you get 
the Saturday scores, but you had the late Friday night boxes from the West Coast, and you had the Sunday leaders, right? As, as George Brett said, you could check to see who was below the Mendoza line. <laughs> and so that was a huge that was a huge part of being a baseball fan. And I think it was maybe partly because we were underfed uh, a little bit because all we had was the game of the week maybe Monday night baseball, maybe a few games in your local market. I mean, people obviously that lived in New York and places like that, Chicago, maybe couldn't relate to it in the same way that I could. But before we had cable, I just wasn't getting a lot of baseball. So the information on the back of baseball cards, the information in the, in the sporting news, which was awesome because it had all the box scores for the previous week. Um, that was a huge part of being a fan because, you know, that was sort of a substitute for actually being able to see the players in many cases. You'd read the box score and imagine what, you know, Dr. J or what, you know, um, Reggie Jackson or what, uh, you know, uh, Gretzky had, had done just by looking at the stats. And I think that that's something that probably young people can't relate to today so much. Did you, when you were growing up, I, there was one guy, that was so dramatic in baseball, and I, I loved every second of it, but he was also simultaneously a train wreck. Billy Martin defined a different type of of coach manager back then. You would never in a million years see that kind of crap now, but that guy was out of control. Did you did you track him at all? Were you was that was that on your radar at all? Guy that the insanity of a guy like Billy Martin? That was that was really a large part of my introduction to baseball because 70 78 was the year that I discovered baseball really and it was the year that I discovered baseball cards and of course that's a year after the Yankees won it in 77 and you know Reggie hit three homers on three straight pitches in game six and but uh, so I didn't, you know, I didn't watch that game. I don't remember that game, but that was my introduction to Reggie Jackson. If he's the yeah. guy who basically, you know, he's, he's basically, you know, he's, he's Paul Bunyan. He's John. He was the guy. Right? He, was like, John, he was the greatest he baseball was, he, player in the world at that point. That was, you know, that was how I saw it in my, you know, six year old mind. And so mm-hmm. I became a Yankees fan. That was, that was seemed like the thing to do. Right. I didn't have a local team anyway, really. Yeah. And I'm going to be a front-running kid, and I'm going to cheer for Reggie Jackson. And so, you know, I remember Billy getting fired in '78, and then the, uh, you know, the, the great comeback that they made to catch the Red Sox and all that. And so, you know, as a Yankee fan, and then you know, Billy's back, and then Billy's fired, <laughs> Billy's back. <laughs> He's in Oakland. He's back. And so that whole, you know, Steinbrenner, Martin, Reggie, Thurman, Munson, you know that. The whole sort of, uh, you know, everything that it was, it was magnificent. It was beautiful. It was tragic. It was, you know, it was funny. It was, it was sort of all of these things at once. And so, you know, I, I, was, I was exposed as much as anything to kind of the soap opera of the New York Yankees when I was a kid. I thought that was normal. You know, that, I guess this is what happens in baseball. Yeah, and yeah. people forget. You know, we always talk about, you know, um, you know, bean balls and, and running over catchers and all the violence in football and basketball players hitting each other and fighting. It's like, dude, you have no idea what sports was like, how how aggressive and just it just it all sports had a, a more of a blue collar 
feel to it and a, a, a different type. I don't know what kind of, I wouldn't call it rage because the fights, they, they, <laughs> but, but you could fight and not get kicked out of a game back back in the day. I mean you I mean you're talking about guys that were playing on fields where trash was blowing across the field while they were playing and they didn't have 16 people running out there to pick it up to keep it a pristine game that you're watching. Like it was just it was different and the Yankees and Billy Martin and all that spatting and all that drama kind of reflected like wow, is that what New York is like? Those people are really angry and they fight <laughs> a lot. Insane. Like it just—that's kind of what Those I are thought. Those the rich ones. Yes, Imagine that's what, what I thought New York like. was. I thought New York was the Yankees. Like that's—I guess that's how people in New York are. That's what they do, you know. And, and and going back to what you were saying earlier, you know, I mean, just storming the field. New York was particularly notorious for that, but it was pretty common in Dude, a lot of other places. But Hank Aaron but, passes you know, Babe Ruth, and there's two guys yeah. running next to him along the baseline. Had him yeah. on the back. Who are who are those guys? Who are these assholes? Right? Yeah. Is that Bill and Ted? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it does. It looks like Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves <laughs> running next to him. Yeah. Time travel, it, dude. That's a fucking. That's hilarious. And, and you know, and, and you're doing that approaching a man that's been receiving death threats yeah, for the better part of the year, and they did you know? nothing about and it. Was, they and, did and nothing to right. stop that's it. How security didn't even give a shit because they were like, whatever. I guess these guys might kill him. I'm gonna tell you right now. A, sn- a sniper would have had clean shots on both those motherfuckers uh, in, in yeah. 2020. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, if Mike Trout, if Mike Trout, you know, 30 years, you know, 15 years from now, if he's chasing a record, although this virus is probably robbing him of a season right in the middle of his prime. Yeah. Dude, but that's... yeah, I mean, we, we just don't tolerate nonsense in that way. Right. And if you've yeah. ever seen Chris Chambliss is, uh, you know, Chris Chambliss had a walk off Homer in game five of the, 76 ALCS to, to send the Yankees to the world series against the Reds. And that's the year before they got Reggie. But as Chambliss goes around the bases, the fans just, they just pour onto the field to the point that I talked to him several years ago. And he said, I, he said, I didn't even, he said, I don't think I even came within 10 feet of home plate. Yeah. He said, I didn't even try because he said, the only thing that I was concerned with, was getting off the field safely. Yeah. You know, and the, um, the umpires let him back out later. Yeah. He said, he said like 10 minutes after the game, the umpire had him go out and touch home plate. That's hilarious. So nobody could say, say anything. Yeah. But, it's, it's that's, so... but, but that was pretty commonplace at the time, and, you know, but, yeah. to, to accept that that's just part of the experience. You I know. Fans will do that. Sometimes. Right. That's so weird that it was I paid accepted. Eight bucks. I paid eight bucks to be here. I deserve to be on the field. <laughs> But it's, I don't know. I mean, there, I forget what to, there, there's that, there's that famous video of some player taking out somebody that was running towards them. I can't remember what it was. Uh, it, what is it? There's, um, oh. do you know what I'm talking about, Ricky? There, there was some, somebody was running about. around the bases and I think somebody got in somebody's way and they got plastered. I can't remember what it was, but of course they, but, but at the same time, it's like, don't be surprised if you take one to the face. You know, yeah. if you're going to be some rando yeah. of a, a, in a sea of 30,000 people running at a person who's probably thinking to himself, this is how it's going <laughs> this down. Is it. This is it. Well, this is, I didn't know that this was going to be my epitaph. Walk off home run, greatest moment of my life, getting trampled to death by these idiots, first moment <laughs> of my exactly life. Exactly. With those glasses on. Do you ever look at, I'm assuming a, a lot of your stuff too, when you're, um, I'm, I don't want to give away your secrets of how you mine for material, but. 
you must just a lot of times do you find yourself alone dying laughing at some of the content that you find about how ridiculous we all looked back in the 70s <laughs> well it's i you know i'm probably i'm probably somewhat desensitized to it by now right because it's yeah. almost like there's it's almost like there's nothing i haven't seen i think that's the i think that's the sad part of it uh, for me you know it's like the longer i do it the less like new things there are for me to find. If you're, <laughs> you're like, if you're like a guy who a edits pornography. <laughs> yeah. You just like, you know, like, oh, just man, like, tits, and then you're like, oh God, if I see one more <laughs> nipple, dude, I'm going to barf. Yeah. It's like, I've seen like everything put in every place in every <laughs> manner possible. Yeah. And in, yeah. in that, in that, in that way, you know? And so yeah. it's, so when I do, it doesn't happen that often, but when I do find something that is completely novel to me and that, that I'm just like, whoa, I do still have those reactions occasionally. And, okay. and when I do have one, I know that it's going to be a winning tweet mm-hmm. because at this point, like if it passes my like involuntary laughter test, mm-hmm. it's, it's probably going to be pretty good because there's not that much that has that effect on me. Did you, did you going back to, uh, we'll call it, early Ricky um, going back to um, did you do did you before you did super 70 sports on Twitter were you active in social media at all in any form of what this became and and was this an accident like so I mean I guess the thing is like did you just you didn't just show up on Twitter one day or did maybe you did and that was the only platform you ever used Um how did that, where did the evolution of you sharing the silliness of, of our youth come from? Well, I was just like, you know, anybody else. I had a MySpace and then I yeah. had a Facebook and, you know, I used it to stay in touch with family and friends and, you know, whatever. And, uh, no, I mean, I, I was never even really on Twitter before this i may have i may have created an account i can't remember i have a personal account that like nobody follows and that i never tweet from that i just use for i just use i use it mostly for following professional wrestling like it's a joke but uh but uh but as far as as far as actually you know trying to entertain people or you know what the twitter account turned into no man absolutely not that was that was a first and it was really i was on christmas break um 20 2013 2014 christmas break and it was just an idea i had dan epstein i have to give dan epstein credit dan epstein wrote a book called uh, plastic hair and uh no big hair and plastic grass i'm sorry plastic hair would be pretty fucked up <laughs> but he wrote a book called uh he wrote a book called Big Hair and Plastic Grass, and it was about baseball in the 70s, and it, it, was, it was a really good book. And I would, if people that like my Twitter account, if anybody is listening and you like the account, you probably would like Dan's book, particularly if you're a baseball fan. And so Dan had a Facebook presence. He, he had a follow-up book to that, and he, he created a Facebook page to help promote it, and he was posting pictures of baseball cards uh, daily. And I somehow or another started following his Facebook page for his book. And every day he would just throw just these little Easter eggs at you, you know, it would be Bill Madlock. And he, you know, he would say funky birthday to Bill Madlock and 
give you a paragraph on, on Bill Madlock. And I found myself starting to look forward to what Dan was going to post uh, every day. You know, it was, it was a nice little blast from the past and it was fun and, and he was presenting it in a fun way. And so I kind of just thought, well, you know, what if you could, what if you could kind of take this idea, but expand it, make it bigger than just baseball and, you know, talk about other sports too. There's a lot of material. And, uh, I think I'm a frustrated comic. I think I've always been a frustrated comic. Uh, I think anybody that's watched me teach over the last 17 years could tell you that there's definitely an element of stand up to what I'm doing in there because they were my captive audience. And, you know, I was, <laughs> I was doing my thing. And so, um, you know, I think that element had always been within me, probably, probably something that I needed to get out you know, that really I needed to purge myself of being somebody that is always thinking of these things. But, you know, that's a sad thing when you don't have an audience if you're if you're a comic. And so when I look at the early days of the of the account, when virtually nobody followed me, <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I found a tweet the other day from February of 2015, and it had no retweets and two likes. And I thought to myself, you know, like, why did I keep going? Why didn't I just quit? <laughs> How many tweets you did know, you put like, out it, before before anybody gave a shit? Oh, God. I mean, th- there had to be quite a few because, I, you know, I started the account, as I said. Uh, I think the first tweet was Christmas Eve of 2013. Okay. And then in, then in the spring of 2014, let's, let's continue the very special episode. Theme. In the spring of 2014. <laughs> okay. 14, I got divorced and, you know, going through a divorce, particularly when you have five kids tends to take up a, a lot of your time and energy. Right. Oh, I thought you were going to say so, those were your dark tweets. That, I was like, I'd like to read those tweets. <laughs> yeah. There, there were a lot of tweets for help at that time. Here's Phil Negro. Phil yeah, Negro got, got divorced this <laughs> year of this card. Let me tell you something about <laughs> Phil Negro's wife. Yeah, his wife. I heard his wife's a real bitch. Something <laughs> that I might know about. Dragging <laughs> players' wives around with no idea why. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it was a form of therapy for me. But, yeah. Um, but actually, I met my current wife later that same year. So that year was a little bit of everything for me, and I and, and so I just stopped. I think by the spring of 2014, I had maybe 600 followers. And I was occupied with, with real life stuff, both bad and good yeah. for the remainder of 2014. And so I got up on New Year's Day 2015. And for some reason, I was remarried at that point because I don't waste no goddamn time. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and uh, I, I just thought to myself, well, are you ever going to do anything with that Twitter account? Because it had basically just been suspended, you know, there for nine months, uh, just kind of hanging in limbo. And I thought, well, eh, maybe I'll give it a go. And I remember I tweeted a, a photo of the 1977 L.A. Dodgers all wearing suits that they looked like they bought at Men's Warehouse. <laughs> and uh, that was the that was the relaunch. And so, you know, I had 600 followers, and from January the first, 2015. I don't think I've missed a day. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to inaccurately uh, rip, ripkinize myself, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I'm. I'm pretty sure I haven't missed a day for almost five and a half years. So, um, you know, it's a snowball, right? You you got to 
you got to get the snowball rolling. And once that happens, people start to see your tweets and retweets get you more followers. And it just becomes very much a word of, you know, sort of the, the internet equivalent of word of mouth. Right? What, was there, and, and not, not a, not a pinned tweet moment, but was there a moment um, early on where you noticed that the snowball of like, you were able to go, huh? Like I had, and what I mean by that is like, I had made a, a puppet thing on YouTube. Good God, it's got to be 12, 13 years ago now. Called Policeman versus Fireman, right? And it was these puppets I bought for my kids, or my kid at the time, and he didn't care. So I made this little simple 30-second video, put it up on the internet. Nobody watched it. Like Literally, I had like 300 views or something like that, right? And then I get this email in my inbox on YouTube from this guy and says, Hey, man, I just want to let you know I'm, uh, I'm a fireman. And uh, I think this is really funny. Uh, do you care if I share it? Which is funny that people are asking if you could share it back then. I'm like, no, I, I don't care. And literally within a week, it was like, it just, it went from like nothing to everything. I can bookmark the moment when it exploded. And then within two weeks, it was on the front page of YouTube. And my inbox was like blowing up. And then as I always joke with John, I knew when I had success on YouTube because I opened up my YouTube inbox for my email, and the first email I saw was, fuck you, I hope you die. And I was like, I made it. I got it, everybody. I'm in. I'm in. I'm getting hate mail. They hate me now. They hate me. But so did you have that? Was there a moment where you're like, okay, I see this? Well, I'm still, you know, I'm still waiting for the breakthrough. Fuck you. I hope you die. Moment. <laughs> so that was, that I was, don't feel like your content was, warrants that, that though. <laughs> I get, uh, you know, occasionally, uh, you know, pe- I mean, people can be nasty, but those things are so much the exception that it's not even worth mentioning. Um, I guess my moment in, in that regard was the, was the uh, Howard Cosell, O.J. Simpson, Bruce Jenner tweet oh, that I did. I, if I uh, in, the future. Yeah, that one, that was, that's the, you know, that's still the champion as far as the most circulation okay. of anything that I've done. And, you know, I, I started hearing things. You know, you, you know, people would send me messages and they would say, you know, hey, Howard Stern was talking about it today on his show and oh, wow. know, things like that. <laughs> things like that were happening, you know, and it and like I said, I mean, it got retweeted over 50,000 times. So wow. there was a there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of buzz around it for probably kind of a few weeks. And, and even now, you know, it, it you know, it just became memed, you know, when, certain things. They they belong to the world, kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> Whether yeah. you like it or not. So can Whether I ask you, you like it or not, and it, you know it, it just happens. And so that happened with that that particular tweet. For anyone and for anyone who's listening that doesn't understand what we're talking about, there's a picture that you found online of Howard Cosell, and next to him is O.J. Simpson. On the other side is Bruce Jenner, and it was said something like, "If, you, I, if I'm from the future, if you, if you look ahead 35 years, you're not going to believe this shit." Correct. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It said, and I'm paraphrasing too, but it was like, "Ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've looked into the future, right. and you yeah. want to do this shit, right?" <laughs> yeah. and that, that's it. And, yeah. then, and Which there's is like, hilarious. And it's, and it's worded, and it's worded like a dozen different ways around the internet now, just sure. depending on how I got paraphrased, right? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that was the one, and I probably had, you know, let me think. At that point in time, I probably had. 
close to a hundred thousand followers. Okay. I was probably between seventy five thousand and a hundred. So I, you know, I I had gained some traction, but that was the tweet that I think probably has given me the most mileage and it's kind of a reference point for people. You know, people who don't even know who I am, they'll they'll be like, Oh, okay, you're the guy who did that. You right. know, so yeah. So can I go back for a so, second? So, you know, I, I, lo- I love the tweet, though. You know, I, I love the tweet. It was a good tweet, and for whatever reason, it resonated. And so, you know, it, it, you know, for any of us, when you're trying to entertain people, if you hit the sweet spot once in a while, it's obviously a good feeling. Can I yeah. ask you, so you brought up earlier that you, you were uh, a, a frustrated um, stand-up on the inside. Um, so th- th- this is kind of a trifold question. When you were young, did were you were you a class clown? Were you trying to always make people laugh? Like th- th- that would be my first my first uh, question to you would be would be that. And then my second follow up question is that when you started doing this and you got traction on some of the stuff that you were doing on Twitter and you were getting the reaction that you were hoping for, did you get? What, what what an adrenaline rush because a lot of us for comics we, we it's we're kind of like we're 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 junkies in that way we we get rushes from people responding and going ha 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 this is amazing i my introduction to that kind of rush was teaching believe it or not which is really kind of fucking sad when you when you think about it but when i when i was in grad school and i was a teaching assistant at that time, I remember the first lecture, the first time that I got handed the car keys, Dr. Alan Furr in the sociology department at, at UofL, University of Louisville, sent me out there. All right, 75 minutes, go do your thing. And that was a dream come true at the time, you know, and I remember coming back, man, I was, it was electric uh, being in front of them. And I think that looking back on it, certainly it's not the sociology that has ever <laughs> made it electric. I think what what I got a buzz from was the was just the live interplay with an audience. And I and you know and I enjoyed teaching, don't get me wrong, but to be able to make them laugh, to be able to make them think, to use humor because I mean let's face it, 75 minutes or longer that's a, that's a tough ask, particularly nowadays, for people to hold their attention together while you talk about dead guys from the 1800s. You know, <laughs> so so you got to punch it up a little bit, I think. And so that's my natural personality, anyway. So uh, definitely, that was what satisfied, you know, me wanting to, to to be a performer at one point in my life. But I do think, coming back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, it's. It, you kind of got to level up at some point. I don't think it was scratching the itch for me anymore. And I don't know that I could have told you that consciously at the time, but I think, you know, several years down the line, it was probably, you know, looking for an outlet to be able to share a side of me that I just really needed to be able to release. Were you worried as much as anything? That was it. Were you worried, sorry, but were you worried that it was going to be in conflict with your career at any point that you were like, did you ever have to, you know, we were kind of talking about earlier about how all these announcers have to be careful. A gig's a gig, right? And so you got to, you got to toe the line. How did you make these two worlds work? I, I, I never, never worried about it. Okay. Never worried about it. Never thought about it. I mean, crossed my mind maybe once or twice, but I just made a commitment that I was going to do me. And if anybody had a problem with it, you know, basically that was going to be their problem. 
Um, so, you know, I look at it, I look at it entirely, you know, separate from what, from what I do during the, during the day or what I did during the day before this, you know, I mean, I'm teaching classes online now, which is, uh, you know, certainly the, the live interplay aspect of it, which is my favorite part of that right. job, you know, has been lost. But, you know, the, the reality is, is I made a decision. It's very personal. It's for myself. And although nobody ever called me on it, or I, you know, I've never had any uh, issues with anyone at my at my job to the extent that anybody uh, talks about it, they, they seem pretty, pretty happy for my success. And, but uh, it. But if anybody had said anything to me, I, I, I mean, certainly if anybody were to say anything to me now, I would have a real problem with that because, you know, you're not going to tell me what to do. That's just basically well, what it boils down. Also, you're a sociology professor. Can't this count as some sort of sociological experiment? I mean, social media is bizarre and strange and worth a look at. Look at so. John connecting dots well, for you there. you know, sometimes I well, – look, I mean – if anybody ever said anything to me, I think probably the first thing I would say is, is well, you know, at least reimburse me for all the free advertising that I've given the institution. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I'm 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 absolutely the ambassador, whether anybody realizes it or not. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of free media that has been given on WGN television and you know elsewhere. So yeah, the um, <laughs> so let's take it to the next level of your desire to want to entertain people. So when you hear something like, "Hey, man, you know Howard Stern was talking about your stuff," and you know it's cool when you hear that stuff, but then the next question is like, "What do I do with that information? Like, how do I?" turn that into something because some of it is not tangible the way you'd want it to be tangible meaning that you don't see the growth that you may be looking for in return for that so how did you what walk me through that like when you found out about that did you was that was that one of the first things you had that one of the first kind of like big things that had happened when you did this it was, you know, probably the first, you know, at least what I considered big at the time. Uh, Sports Illustrated named me to their Twitter 100 in 2015. Okay. So that was actually, you know, that was actually the first full year that I'd done it. And at the end of the year, Sports Illustrated put me on that list. Somebody sent me a message and congratulated me. And I was like, what? Like, you know, <laughs> like I didn't even know it. <laughs> so now at that time, I think I had about 20,000 followers. So I think at the point that I had 20,000 followers. And again, you know, it's all relative. Like I, you know, I have 350 plus now and I look back on 20 and 20 doesn't seem like that much, but at the time 20 seemed yeah. in fucking incredible, you know? Yeah. So, so at that point in time, 20,000 followers and some recognition from sports illustrated, I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe I've kind of got something here. And then as people start to follow you that you, you know who they are, you know, that, yeah. that was one of the things that was interesting early on when people would follow you and you'd be like, oh, wow. This like person athletes? That, you know, I've all, yeah, athletes, yeah. Uh, actors. Who was the, it, who is the first one where you got, I don't want to say giddy because that's probably a bad word. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you look and you go, wait, wait, who? And then maybe you double check the Dude, account Fergie to make Jenkins sure that it's that's real. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fergie Jenkins yeah. liked something I posted the other day. I haven't stopped talking about it for three <laughs> days. So, oh no! I mean, it, those little I, I call you know it's it, you know, we're taping this on Easter, but I always call those things Easter eggs. It's yeah. one of my favorite things about Twitter is on like any given day, 
what oddball interaction am I going to have with somebody on this platform? Which for mm-hmm. me at this point, it, it's pretty much it's a daily thing. There's going to be something that's going to happen. Somebody's going to show up from from the 70s or 80s, some character, uh, you know, and they're yeah. going to interact. So that's a lot of fun. But but no, going back to your going back to your question, um, I have mixed feelings about it. On the one hand. I'm super grateful that I've gotten this far because I think it's an underdog story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an impro- improbable kind of thing, and it's the greatest adventure of my life. It has changed my life immensely for the better. I mean, I have so much fun with it. I've met so many great people. I've made so many friends in sports and in, and in entertainment. And, you know, I wouldn't trade any of this for the world. On the other hand, you know, I'm not nearly satisfied yet because I think my true ambition is to get into entertainment full time. I mean, I would I would like to, you know, on on some scale, uh, you know, end up where you guys are, because I think I think really where I want to be ideally at some point in the next several years is in is in Southern California and producing content on a, on a full-time basis. Well, I appreciate that. Ricky, wow. I, Ricky, I live in a basement with my wife, uh, my wife's basement. So I don't know if you want to necessarily be where I'm at, but, um, but there are people okay. out here that are succeeding. Um, you'll be closer to them. That's what I was going to ask you, Ricky, you talking about like this a stand up without an audience, but like you live in Chicago, man. And, and something I did not do when I lived there, was take any advantage of the comedy scene that exists. I mean, if you, when you say you want to produce content or make content full time, you do, you have a website for this, right? And so you're putting in hours at a time during the week on this. Are you talking about more content in that line or are you talking about like being a performer yourself? Yeah, I, I would, I would like to move over into, uh, you know, c- creating television programs, streaming things, podcasting. Um, you know, moving over into that realm, uh, there's, you know, there, I'm certainly don't want to jinx myself. I've learned enough in my short time uh, doing this, that, you know, nothing means anything until it is signed upon the line, which is dotted. But, uh, but yeah, I I have some irons in the fire right now. So I'm I'm hoping that 2020 uh, with any luck will, will end up, putting super seventies, you know, um, outside of the Twitter, Twitter sphere. Dude, that's, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's just all kinds of, as you say, um, you've already sound like you've, you kind of know what you're doing or you're learning quickly and Southern California. It's great. It's beautiful. It's awesome. I'm never going to discourage anyone from moving here, but like you can make content, produce content from anywhere. You've had people on that are making movies in Wisconsin and, you know, they're doing stuff in Idaho. They're doing whatever, but, but like you already sound like you're moving forward with ideas that you have based on this idea. And those kind of things can be started from anywhere, which is awesome. So what John is saying is, yeah, I guess you're not uh, allowed to go to California. John, I don't understand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, you can move wherever he wants. I'm just saying you shouldn't <laughs> wait or worry about the move being the thing that drives him to, to, to start something. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, you know, certainly there, there's a lot of things that I'm working on right now that, that I'm hoping, you know, various stages of development that, uh, that I'm, I'm hoping as we get later. And, you know, this year's so weird because, you know, we're all 
we're all in this sort of strange environment yes. where we well, don't know what the rest weird. of this year is really going to look like. <laughs> Something going well, on. The way, I don't the, know way about? The, the way that Brian pees is what's yeah. weird, John. <laughs> are you, are you, pay, are you paying attention? <laughs> That's what's weird about this year. What's weird about 2020. <laughs> That's it. So, but, uh, but you know, it's one of those deals where, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, but, um, you know, I certainly, I certainly think that it's at a point now I have this apparel brand that is, uh, you know, doing, doing very well. We launched at the end of September, uh, our own line of, uh, super seventies branded clothing. And so that's, awesome. that takes up a lot of my, takes up a lot of my time and attention as well. So it's, it's one of those things where super seventies, you know, I think it's fair to say that I've reached a point where it, it takes up more of my time than my day job. So wow. I just think the next, the next step is, is getting super seventies to the, to the point where, you know, it, it becomes my full-time gig. And, and I'm, I'm pretty much selling out every day trying to, trying to reach that. I, I was yeah. going to say, so it's, I was glad you brought up the merchandise thing. Cause I mean, first off the logo you have is, it's just top notch. I mean, it, that's, that, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great yeah. looking logo that you have. And I, I was, I was going to mean to ask you about like developing that whole other brand and all the merch stuff. I mean, you've got some amazing stuff on there and it, and it's, and it's, I mean, if, if you can or be willing, just kind of explain to people what like your line is all about, like what the what 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 kind of stuff you're 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 uh, you're selling on the line. Well, because I, I always thought it was really cool. Like for, I, as soon as I saw you post some of that stuff, I'm like, I literally have like a, a second bank account that I'm trying to stock up because otherwise, dude, I will literally buy everything that you have. Like it, it is all me from top to bottom. And I was like, I just don't want my wife pissed off me right now. But eventually that it's just because it's just so great. So can, go ahead and share. Well, you know, it, it kind of goes back in some ways to what you were saying earlier about, you know, well, if Howard, if, if Howard Stern mentions you on the show, OK, well, great. But like, what do you really do with that? Right. One thing you definitely can't do with that is pay your bills. Right. So, you know, and I've also learned that retweets and likes actually are not accepted as U.S. currency. So <laughs> no, if, you guys had any, if you had any confusion, it turns out yeah. they don't. No, no. Uh, I tried. I tried. I've shown up at the bank with retweets, just a bag <laughs> of them and not a guy. Not a goddamn thing. You were escorted out. I, I was. And I'm still not allowed back. They got my picture on the wall. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's one of those deals where, you know, you at a certain point, you you, you want to monetize what you're doing, right? Particularly if it's legitimately taking up a considerable amount of your time. Yeah. You know, I, I <laughs> in the early days, you know, you're just kind of like, you're, you're cranking out tweets and a few people are reading them and... Uh, it is what it is, but as you no develop a, 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 yeah, as you develop a following, that's what I always tell people, man. Yeah. Right. The pressure, I probably, um, would say that the pressure is greater, the bigger the audience gets because absolutely, it, and, and it's a show me business, right? Like I can have been funny for the last five years, but if I get up tomorrow and I start laying eggs, that's a problem. Yeah. Right. It's not going to it's not going to happen, hopefully. But, you know, there's the, the stakes are higher now than they've ever been. And I look at every day as an audition. I look at every day. I don't know who's reading these tweets. I don't know who might want to collaborate with me. I don't know who who has an idea. And they think that working with the Super 70s guy would be just the ticket. So I get up every day and I assume 
that anybody could be reading this stuff. And I basically just want to send the message every day that I'm one of the funnier motherfuckers that you're going to meet. So, you know, if you want to be entertained, here I am. And, you know, obviously, even if, you know, that doesn't lead to the world's greatest opportunity, um, you know, as long as it motivates me to be funny, I, I feel like that's the bottom line. When I feel overwhelmed, which is often, I just try to remind myself, get up today and be funny. And if you do that, you know, B, C, D, E, F, all the way through the rest of the alphabet will take care of itself. Who, yep. are, who are some of the, uh, speaking of putting pressure on yourself, did it, did it ever, you were talking about, like, you start recognizing people that either retweet you or start following you, and it's people that you either grew up respecting or idolizing or whatever, or just people that are famous that you know. Did that, did that do you go through a phase where you're like, this is cool, okay, this is a little bit of a pressure that I wasn't expecting, or you just don't care? Um, and, and were there any specific people that you were like, also just stoked that they're even acknowledging that you exist? Like, what? there are, there are so many people that I'm, that I'm grateful to for interactions that I've had with them. I mean, people that, people that came on the podcast, you have a little bit of a extra special place for particularly people that are. You know, I mean, let's face it, right? The the bigger star somebody becomes, the harder it is to obtain them right. for a podcast or for an appearance or what. It's just the way it works, and and I understand that. I've the amount of requests, believe it or not, the amount of requests that even I get to do stuff now, I really can't comfortably do it all anymore. And I'm just I'm just like nobody Twitter guy. So for somebody that's really famous, I can't imagine the demands that they have on their time. So when you get somebody that is a big name, that's like, hey, I'll come on your podcast that probably nobody fucking listens to, Ricky Cobb, and I'll talk to you for I'll talk to you for forty five minutes or an hour. You appreciate that person. So yeah. you know, a couple of to name to, to give you a couple of names because it would kind of be boring if I didn't. You know, two two guys that come to mind that were great guests for me in the first couple of years of the podcast when I really didn't have, you know, I certainly had well under a hundred thousand Twitter followers. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. came on the podcast. Wow. And uh, Rob and Rob Lowe came on the podcast. Wow. <laughs> and so, so those, so those two guys among others, you know, there's lots of others. So I don't, you know, I hate to leave people out, but, but Dale Jr. And Rob, you know, I, I, I've got to give them a, a slow clap of admiration for being willing to come on and, and give me the opportunity. And, um, you know, certainly too, as a, as a, somebody that's, you know, at that time, especially was really, really, really new to this. It's a confidence builder because, you know, when you, when you, when you're able to interview people like that and, you know, you're able to also simultaneously hold your shit together and it actually <laughs> sounds pretty good, you know, you're like, okay, well, you know, the fact that the fact that my knees were trembling is not audible, so that's good. Yeah, can't hear that. Uh, you know, and yeah. You, yeah, and so you think to yourself, okay, well, you know, maybe I really can do this, you know. So it, I, I would say, you know, that's an aspect of it too, is, is it makes you feel like, you know, to some small degree, like you're not just a complete imposter, that maybe you actually have some talent and 
are worthy of the little platform that you're carving out for yourself. Right. Well, you are you are so from Middle America. You 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 see things from a realistic standpoint. How dare you? The uh, um, <laughs> but it's great. It keeps you grounded and it keeps you going. Right. It keeps that mentality going. Did were they were they fans of the of, of the of the Twitter feed? Is that how you got in connection with them, or or was or was that just a completely separate random thing that you were able to pull off because of the Twitter feed? Yeah, they they were fans of the feed. Okay, so that that's the that's the that's the equalizer I've found. Right, if people know who you are, if they've got a frame of reference and they dig what you do, that puts you in the ball game for all kinds of things. But you know, being a stranger, it's a little harder to knock on the door and say like, you know, I'm the I'm the vacuum cleaner salesman that you actually would enjoy talking to me. Just trust me, right? <laughs> that, that's not really. That's not really how it works. I can't take your word for it that you're the one guy out of a hundred that like, yeah, I'm glad I did his anonymous podcast. So, it, <laughs> so they had a frame of reference because they followed the account and, right. you know, so, so that helped a lot. I didn't, I didn't have to, I didn't have to twist their arm, which was nice. One thing, and we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll get you out of here in a sec here. It's one thing I wanted to ask you about is, um, there was a couple things. Um, I remember being on your feed once and somebody made a comment about your reference, which was from something in the 1990s. And here's what I found funny about it. Every once in a while, I will go to people's comment sections. And your fan base was like, hey, dude, um, you really shouldn't mess with Ricky when it comes to uh, taunting him as to why he's doing something about the 90s. Clearly, you don't get it. You do not want to go toe-to-toe with this cat. Like, people were like... On, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, your yeah, that's exactly what they were doing. They were like, "You need to get out now. You don't know what you just did." And I was laughing at the comments just as hard as anything else. I was laughing, and I'm like, "What is going on here? Do you know what I'm talking about?" Oh yeah, yeah. It's a running. <laughs> it's a running. It's a running joke at this point. I mean, it's probably not funny if you're the person that's on the receiving end, but. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like my, you know, my mom used to tell a story from when I was a little kid and I, I don't remember this. I guess I was maybe, I was maybe one or two years old. And my mother said that my, my grandmother had some particular, uh, I don't know if it was a, I don't know if it was a Voss or what it was, but she had something that she was very particular about, and she wanted to keep my little paws off of it. And so apparently whenever I would get close to it, whenever I wanted to touch it, I would get scolded and, you know, I, I, I would go away from it. And so the story goes that some other little girl, somebody was visiting my grandmother and I was there and this other little child, maybe a year or two old as well is there. And she goes over to the same boss, tries to touch it. Her mother scolds her and my mom said that I just cackled like it was literally the funniest thing I'd ever seen. You know, like in my little one year old mind, I'm like, yeah, bitch, that's what happens. You know, when you, when you try to touch the boss. So, so I think for my audience, yeah, they, that's a long winded way of saying that like when somebody goes there and, and, and you know, pushes my button, uh, there's other people that know exactly what they've done and why it was a bad thing. And, and they, I think they delight in uh, waiting, waiting to see how that's going to play they, out. They must so. love waiting for the response, dude. <laughs> I don't do it that often. I mean, basically, what this is referencing is, is I mean, I will kind of nuke people sometimes, um, but only people that call me out publicly in a rude way. Yeah. 
normally, normally. If somebody DMs me or even emails me something that is not particularly nice or is critical, doesn't happen that often, but you know, it's a big audience. It happens occasionally. Yeah, sure. I'll be very, very nice to that person. I mean, I'll, you know, a lot of people complain about the cussing. Right. If somebody emails me, I had somebody who sent me a very, very sincere email just saying like, you know, don't you think it would be as funny? And I sent them a nice response back. I said, Hey, look, I respect that we're all different. This is, this is who I am. This is what I do. If it's not for you, I respect that. But if somebody calls me out publicly, takes a shot at me, then, then I mean, I'm I'm a real good counterpuncher, basically. Right. And yeah. I've got and, and but I but I will say this: I've learned that there's a certain responsibility that goes with having a large audience. As my audience has gotten larger, I've probably become a little more. I might be giving myself too much credit. Let's say just <laughs> a little more, but only a little more judicious in how yeah. I do that because you know you don't ever you don't ever want to make a comment that you know kind of put somebody in a bad spot where the masses just start yeah. going after them yeah, you know right. because I, I think that's you know that's punching down and i you know i think that's ugly so yeah. you know and, and, and there was actually one time that i there was actually one time i made a comment and it it seemed like it was kind of just going in a direction that i wasn't real comfortable with and so i actually I actually wound up talking to the guy on direct message. I've actually become friends with a couple of people that I've roasted, <laughs> believe, it, <laughs> believe awesome. it or not, because, you know, I, I've, I've sent a couple, I sent one guy a direct message because he, he made some comment about something being douchey and his avatar, he had a backwards baseball cap on and a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. And I said, Oakley you blades. have the douchiest. Yeah. I said, you have the douchiest avatar ever. <laughs> And people were really letting him have it. And so I sent him a direct message and I said, Hey man, I said, uh, please understand. I'm just commenting on the avatar. I didn't know that people were going to give you such a hard time. And he messaged me back and we actually had, we actually had a really fun conversation, but, but you got to be careful. You know, what's a cutting remark for somebody that has a lot of followers can be like a really, really bad day for just like an average person that suddenly finds a hundred strangers dumping on. Them, yeah. You know, yeah. So. That's, but that's really, I gotta say, man, that's very cool that you are conscious of that kind of the, the more followers you get, it's like a weird power you can wield yeah. and you can uh, end up, there are enough psychos out there that you can end up fucking up somebody's day, week, month, life with just a small, right. like let's pile on everybody. And then that person's like, fuck it. I'm right. Out. So I, I never, I never want to do that. So usually, usually my, my strongest retorts are reserved for people that I feel have just been really, really hateful right. <laughs> to yeah. me in some way, you know, uh, otherwise, you know, I've, there's lots of times that I will just, my jaw will tighten. <laughs> I'll think of something that would be, I'll think of something that would be really good. Mm -hmm. And then I'll think, and then I'll think, no, just move on, do something else. You'll, you won't be mad in 10 seconds, you know, because you'd rather be light than right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that I would rather err on the side of not doing that. Although there are certain situations where people walk right into it and, you know, maybe once every couple of months, somebody will 
somebody will walk right into one that they richly deserved. You know, I'm not saying that I'll never do it again, but no, uh, but I I think you're walking into it, man. Come on. There's a response. There's a responsibility that goes with having followers. And that's weird for me because again, I, I think in some ways the, the odd place that I'm in in my life and, you know, I'm not going to go into like all of the particulars, but there's relationships and things that are being cultivated behind the scenes with super seventies that are very, very much at odds with what my life still presents like uh-huh. <laughs> you know, the optics of my life, right. which gotcha. is still, you know, college professor, still the same, everything. And so I kind of have one foot, I have one foot sort of inching into the world that, that, you know, I'm trying to become a part of, and I still definitely have one foot still firmly entrenched in my old life. So it's a, it's kind of a strange place that I occupy right now. It's uh, uh, it's kind of neither here nor there. So it's a, it's a, it's an unusual thing to be Twitter famous out of, out of nowhere. I will say though, my, my takeaway from it, and I appreciate the way you look at all this stuff because Twitter can be a nasty, dark, mean place. But what I will, what I found out of it. And again, you can't get, like you said, there is a lot of responsibility with followers. You have to be careful because you don't know them all personally. So you don't know how they're going to react and or attack somebody. But, and that specific one and specifically the way you, you, you had the sarcastic tone that you have on your Twitter page. I always felt like people looked at you like the the Twitter sports version of of a um, a Don Rickles, if you will, right? Like it's almost like people are kind of hoping you might roast them a little bit, like a jab here or there, like maybe yeah. they're science they, and and having fun with it. But you are right; like there there is a fine line of of, how, of how to play that game. People probably would like to see it more often than they get it from me <laughs> but but it's one of those things where like i never go looking for it right it's always you know it always finds me if it happens you know i don't think like well you know it's been six weeks since i've lit somebody up let me go <laughs> digging through the cop let me go see who said something stupid today you know like i don't i don't do that so if, if somebody gets it they they really found me with it because you know i'm a I'm a peaceful, I'm a peaceful man until you flip my, <laughs> until you flip my switch. You know? I saw on uh, one of your, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, did I see one of the merch things that you are selling is a Bad News Bears jersey or shirt? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So oh, I, yeah. I, I apologize, but I've told this story before, but not to you. So I grew up, as you know, in Wisconsin and my fascination as a kid, was I loved sports. I loved. I, I was a, ba- a huge baseball player, and I loved the movie Bad News Bears. And Bad News Bears, to me, and the character Tanner represented um, California, Los Angeles. That's how I saw California. Something about that movie connected with me, and I was all. It, it was what drove me to want to eventually live here. It was a big part of it, right? So when I got yeah. married and had kids, I named my first son Tanner. And I remember um, when he was probably about 10 or 11 years old, I was like, I got to show him the movie. I got to show him the movie he was named after, the original Bad News Bears. He needs to see it. And I kind of went into it blind. And I th- and John and I have talked about this before, that we forget that the movies that we grew up on that were PG and PG-13 are not PG and PG-13 in today's standards and in today's <laughs> eyeballs, right? So we're sitting there watching that movie, and... 
Tanner goes into his racist monologue, and my son turns to me and goes, you named me after him? And I was like, no, 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 no. And I went into a complete, I turned the movie off, and I went into this complete, like, damage control, like, panic scene of trying to explain to him, like, no, you don't understand. Like, back then, like, I started getting to the back then defense, you know, like, it was just a movie. It was funny, and he represents, you know, the spark and the fight. And he's like, whatever, dude. And he walked, he literally walked out of the room, so pissed off at me because I had named him after Tanner from the Bad News Bears. Wow. Wow. He's, he's over he didn't it realize now. That he... Okay, good. <laughs> now, I mean, has he, has, he, has he come around on Tanner Boyle? I mean, or have you guys just reached a, you know, live and let live with that? I think he's completely indifferent with the fact that he was named after the guy. It, and which is funny because, like, the guy, is, it's, it's, it's very well known that the, the, the guy who played Tanner Boyle doesn't even want to talk about the fact that he was Tanner Boyle. Like, so basically, I have a guy that was named after Tanner Boyle who doesn't want to talk about Tanner Boyle, and the actor himself doesn't also does not want to talk about being Tanner Boyle. So maybe we were all a little bit off the mark about Tanner Boyle. I don't know. What, that guy doesn't want to know. talk about That's... being Tanner Boyle? Huh? No, yeah, no, he wants to have nothing to do with it. Nothing oh, well. to do with it. Yeah, I guess I guess not. I guess I guess he'd rather talk about all of his other iconic roles. <laughs> yes. I yeah, that's that See, thing. See, here's the thing. Hey, here's the thing. I had Barry Williams on the podcast. Yeah. And Barry Williams is the most grounded cat in terms of understanding his Greg Bradyness. Yeah. He came to terms with his Greg Bradyness a long time ago, and you know, he's in his mid 60s or ever how old he is now. And, you know, he has a comfort level with that, and he talks about that. I, I, I think it would be kind of sad to be Tanner Boyle and not be able to enjoy that, you know? Yeah, because it is cool a great character. It's one of the greatest characters of the 1970s. I, I mean, Buttermaker and Tanner Boyle, that's what everybody... For, I mean, there were other great characters in those movies, but let's be honest. Those are but the two weird... that everybody yes. will reference first when you talk about that movie, for sure. And, but there's and, a weird and, Kelly, and Kelly Lee. Kelly Lee. I mean, yes. that's the Holy Trinity. Yes. Yeah. Kelly Lee. And I mean, one of the great, and I know this is in the second one, but Let Them Play. I mean, everybody knows what that's from. Everybody knows that. And even though it wasn't a great movie, like the whole thing in the Astrodome, which, by the way, I saw that you posted something you tried sneaking into which, a baseball game or something like that. Do you, I, I'm assuming you have a fascination with the Houston Astros as well. Am I correct? Dude, every time, every time, well, that's why the cheating thing has been so uh, difficult for me. But yeah, every time I go to Houston, I try to trespass in the Astrodome. <laughs> that's a tradition. So I made it into an auxiliary building last summer with my friend, but uh, couldn't get into the, the dome proper. But I sort of kind of, I'm going to count it because it was attached to the dome, but. Uh, yeah, I'm still trying to finagle through the organization uh, to get inside the Astrodome. That, believe it or not, is on my bucket list still. So we always have a theory but, in, in production here in Hollywood is that if you want to get onto a set or you have to walk like you know that you belong there. That's it. You just keep walking in like, yeah, I'm, they need me. I got I to gotta get going. I, it, it was always the joke. Is like If you look like you belong there, nobody questions you. Now, again, I think the security uh, for the stuff that we do out in production versus the people that are probably doing security for the Astrodome are probably a little bit different in respects to how they... Uh, they uh, 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 discern whether or not you belong or not, but that would that that be my only tip to you. Because remember the John three sixteen guy who kept was it the John who was the guy that kept sneaking? No, not the John three sixteen. There was a guy oh, there that was, was notorious the, the for sneaking guy. into yes, yeah. yeah, that him, yeah, not John three sixteen, yeah. the imposter guy, notorious yeah, Bear, for getting Barry Barry Bloom, maybe I'm not sure, but yeah, 
fascinating. Yeah, that that somebody could do that. But yeah, I think that's a huge component. You got to act like you're supposed to be there because you know who who has the master fucking list of who's supposed to be where. You know, ninety eight percent of the time, right? Yes. So if you look like you know where you're going and you seem like you passed the sniff test. You can probably do all kinds of things. And John probably doesn't know this, but you referenced earlier about Ferguson Jenkins liking your thing. I know that there was one thing that, Ricky, you were totally excited about was the fact that uh, you said that Reggie Jackson actually liked one of your posts, right? And you were that that was stoked for you because you referenced Reggie Jackson earlier in the podcast about how much, you know, you, a, a great memory from your childhood. Just, so to see that that iconic figure acknowledge your presence, you said that was kind of kind of a treat for you, right? Yeah, you know that was pretty cool. Eh? There, there's some that, there's some that definitely give you a kick because of what somebody meant to you at a different time in your life, right? I mean, like I met, I met Muhammad Ali when I was 20 years old, and that was an incredible experience because of what he meant to me. Basically, when I was six, seven, eight, right? Yeah. And oh, so Reggie yeah. Jackson, Reggie Jackson, very much the same thing. Reggie, you know, he'll always be just a little bit different for me than other players because of what he meant to me at a, you know, particular place in my life when baseball was new and exciting and different. And, you know, he was the coolest guy uh, uh, out of all of them. So I, I think that, you know, uh, the, the more that I do this, the more people I meet, the more people I talk to, I'm, I'm far less starstruck now yeah. than I probably would have been a few years ago. But, I, you know, for, for even those of us that get, get over being starstruck, for the most part, there's always, I mean, I, I think it would be sad if we didn't have, you know, some small handful of people that still kind of got, still kind of got our adrenaline going, right? That's part of what made being a fan fun in the first place so i hope i never i hope i never completely lose that i will tell you to combine my son tanner and and bad news bears and bill buckner my son we were at spring training my son asked my wife for twenty dollars he found out that bill buckner was somewhere in the stadium signing autographs he went over there said dad can you come help me get something to eat he walked me right up to bill buckner and gave him 20 bucks so this is my dad he's a huge fan and i got to meet bill buckner a year before he passed away and, and i was i was like a small child babbling all over again like it was like it's just one of those cool moments you know yeah it i 100 uh, percent relate i mean it's um th there's certain things that i think transport you back in, in, and as much as anything, I think that that is what is responsible for the popularity of the account, um, the nostalgia element of it. I, I don't think oh, I realized sure. I, I had no appreciation, at least at least not on the level that I've seen it unfold over the past few years. I, I just didn't realize how strong that connection was. A lot of the things that I was posting about and saying like, hey, wasn't this cool, whether it's a toy or whether it was a, a, you know, a snack or whether it was something related to sports or whether it was related to fashion, you name it. Um, I just don't think I realized how powerful that shared experience is that when you throw up an avocado green, you know, kitchen instantly, there are tens of thousands <laughs> of us who are just like, Oh my yeah, God. That was my kitchen. Know, yeah. My yeah. You know, and, that sort of connection 
um, you know, the, the bonding that you have culturally is, is, is a lot stronger than probably the average person would, would suspect. Uh, Ricky, I gotta yeah. tell you, man, there's very few people in my life that will understand when I tell them that my mom used to tell me to go rake the carpet. They didn't know what the hell I was talking about, but you had to... <laughs> You could get all kinds of shit out of the carpet. Oh my god! <laughs> you were turning up. <laughs> Heaven knows what was coming out of that thing, both good and bad. Exactly. You know, it, it could be, you know, you rake the carpet and it's like, oh my god! I, I, oh, there it is! Oh Jesus <laughs> Christ! You know, it, all in the same moment. It was. <laughs> you're getting it all. I shag carpeting was. Who thought that was a good idea? I don't know. You know the same I, people that said, hey, I got an idea. Put carpeting idea. in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, and then we used to get those fur. Remember those, like, furry, like, like commode vests? <laughs> like, commode sweater vests that were, like, macrame Remember those fucking things? You'd go in, like, the toilet looked like a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> Who decided? My grandmother used to have like she used to have one of those covers that would go on a box of Kleenexes. Like I, I don't think the Kleenexes need a coat, but okay, I mean, whatever. If that's what you're into. Oh, and people will never understand. We couldn't get we couldn't get enough coverage back in those days, man. We were we were cov- we were we wanted it as shaggy and covered as we could get it. Dude, I got to tell you, um, and John knows this. Um, I don't know why you responded to my email, but I I mean I, I know the quarantine had something to do with it, but I got to be honest with you. I can't I I was bragging to everybody that you got back to me and that you were willing to do this because I am a huge fan of what you do and I love your sarcasm and I I I I'm sure you're going to have a great successful ride from here on out because you're I mean, I could just speak for myself personally that um you hit you hit a chord with me and a lot of my friends and it's fantastic and I'm just so glad in a sea of misery on Twitter you're you're one of the few things I look forward to. So the fact that you are on the phone talking to me and acknowledging the fact that I exist has been a huge huge win for me. So I I mean thank you so much for taking the time to well, do it. You know? Dude, well first of all you're you're much much too kind because believe me I'm. I'm not very far removed from being at a point in my life where I'm amazed that anybody would want to talk to me or think that I was interesting <laughs> enough to, to be a, to be a subject. So, you know, I, I do a lot, I do a fair amount of media now and, you know, I'm, I enjoy it generally speaking. So I, I will say, you know, you guys have a great name for the podcast. First of all, this has been a lot of fun and you guys are both good conversationalists and I, you know, I hope that you guys have enjoyed it because I have. Oh, yeah. But I will say you got you got a great name, Hollywood Anonymous. That plus your plus your sign off. What was it from the backseat of your minivan? <laughs> yes. I was like, okay. I was like, all right, this motherfucker. All right, all right, we'll see. All right, all right, we'll see what Brian's about. Okay, maybe. So uh, that that might have scored you a couple of points too. You felt my pain. Fair enough. I get it. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Thank you for giving us the uh, 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 two full hours of what I thought was a yeah, great, dude, great you, conversation, great insight. Thank I know you our guys. listeners are so gonna enjoy it. Um, I, again, I, I'll, I'll I'll stop gushing and just say, man, I I, I hope we uh, we cross paths, you know, out here in sunny California. Uh, at, at some point, but uh, you know, just keep in touch, and uh, we look forward to continuing to see your amazing tweets. And guys uh, and gals, and anybody else that wants it, follow follow Super Seventy Sports on Twitter and uh, and buy some merch because it's great merch too. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. And I, you know, I'm a terrible plugger. So super 70 sports store. Dot com is where it's where gotcha. you'll find the merch and and absolutely guys man the, ne- the next time i'm out in the la area once we uh hopefully uh you know all emerge intact on the other side of this mess uh I, I'd, I'd love to sit down and have a beer with you guys or or whatever uh you imbibe <laughs> and go do some stand-up love i bet it, you dude. i bet you people would love to see you do stand-up if it ever it ever tickles your fancy do some stand-up if you need help getting into a club or something like let john know I know. I got. I know. Yeah. Well, I'm from Illinois. I know people in Chicago. All right. Well, I'll I'll keep that in mind. I've I've certainly spent enough time working up material. So uh, (laughs) it'll just it'll if somebody's like, "Have you got ten minutes?" Oh yeah, I got ten minutes. Don't worry. (laughs) I don't know how good it'll be, but I got ten minutes. (laughs) Ricky, thank you, thank you to your wife and your family for uh, letting us uh, share this time with you. uh, Kidnap you on Easter. Yeah, exactly. John, you got anything on the way out? I'm done saying thank you. No, no. Thank you, man. Appreciate your time. Hey, thanks, fellas. I, I appreciate it, and uh, I'd love to do it again sometime. Awesome. awesome. Can't wait for it. Thanks, thanks man. Thanks for ever listening, everybody. All right. Have a great okay. night. Bye. You too. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 